Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the James Bond special of the Failed Critic Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Norman. I'm joined by James Diamond. Hello. And Owen Hughes. Hello. And deep undercover on some mission for us, Jerry McCauley is absent this week due to technical problems. We'll have to get Q onto that one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, brilliant. So, yes, we're here to go through all things James Bond, but I'll let James Diamond explain it all to you. Yeah, so um, the Batman special we did is probably our our most popular episode of Failed Critics that we've ever done. So we've decided to devote this week's um, review and also the triple bill to James Bond uh, and related James Bond actors, that kind of thing. So this week, Steve did a randomly allocated draw, although no one actually saw the evidence or oversaw it, but I've, 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 I've just gone with it, despite I've, my reservations about what I was handed. I've got, um, I've, I've, so, I have got a random number generator that is the size of a Bond villain's computer in my room. That does not surprise me one <laughs> little bit, actually. Um, so we've all been allocated two Bond films to watch this week and report back on. Uh, so we're going to do that in our what we have been watching section. Then after that follows the review of Skyfall, the new Bond, with a spoiler alert. And there'll also be a special quiz before we start as well. Okay. Um, well, explain the quiz then. The quiz, right, okay. Uh, sadly, it's just down to you two now. Our our quiz expert isn't, isn't with us, so it's down to the two non-Bond fans. <laughs> yeah. Um, now I, I'm, I've got so that you're each going to get four on theme intros. Okay, they're, they're your own, so you get four for you. Uh, who wants to go first? I'll go on then. I'll do it. Okay, Owen's going to go first. I'm going to give you four intros, and what I want is the artist of the film it's from. I'll give them to you one at a time, though, Owen, so it gives you a bit of a chance Jeez. to think about it. Okay, get ready. What's that one, then? Oh, my God. I don't know. Goldeneye? Oh, no, no, no. As, it, as it's one-on-one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand that one over to uh, Steve. Um, is it, as you seemed a bit disappointed that he went for Pierce Brosnan film, so it could be a Pierce Brosnan film but not the right one, is it The World Is Not Enough? No, I'll... <laughs> I'll this is what it was. Here it comes. 
okay. So that's so yeah. You're you're naught for one so far. Let's try this one then, Owen. What do you think that one might be? It seems familiar. Uh, it's not. It's not the man with the golden gun. No, it's not, Steve. I'm handing it over. Uh, is it on Her Majesty's Secret Service? No, it's not. I'll just play a little bit more. For her. Do you recognise that voice? It's uh, Cheryl Crow with Tomorrow Never Dies. It's not going yeah. well. No, I'm doing I'm terrible at this one. Oh, I think you're going to get this one. So come on, Owen. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. No, I'm, I'm terrible at Bond films. It's, it's someone you... It, it's your actor. I'll give you that much. Okay. Octopussy. No, it's um, it's nobody does it better from uh, The Spy Who Loves so, Me. So you, didn't, oh, you, didn't, you didn't want to pass that one over to me? Oh, sorry. Oh, <laughs> sorry because I knew that because it was one of the films I had to watch. Oh, oh right. <laughs> I'm giving you that one. That's <laughs> <laughs> one I win. One nil. Oh, dear. Do you think that is? God, Jesus Christ! I haven't got a clue. I've already uh, said it. I've already said it. Yeah. Someone... Did I? No, no, it's not. Oh. Steve. Octopussy. No, that's from On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Uh-huh. Louis Armstrong. Uh-huh. So, Steve, you you've kind of already won anyway, but let's just do a few. <laughs> I might pull some back if he doesn't get it. Oh, yeah, that's true, that's true. Okay, here we go. This is for you, Steve. I'm going to go Moonraker. It sounds a bit bit sci-fi. I'm going Moonraker. No, it's not. You're going to have a guess at the artist anyway. No. No? No. I don't know. it's, It's Duran Duran's A View to a Kill. Okay. Okay, here we go. This one's for you, Steve. That sounds quite early. Like early early bond. I'm gonna go with from Russia with love. Oh, not bad, not a bad effort. But no, Owen. Uh, Thunderball. Yes! Yes! Got one! <laughs> and who who do you think was the artist? Uh, I don't know. For an extra point. For an extra... Uh, I have no idea. Honestly, no idea. It was Tom Jones. Really? So, yeah, yeah, Tom Jones did Thunderbolt. Cracking song, cracking song. Okay, here you go. Back to you, Steve.
Any idea? I'm going to go with the man with a golden gun. No. Oh, Owen. Is this one golden eye? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> not going to get it. Um, hang on. I think he says it straight away. Uh, okay. You only live twice. <laughs> oh, so it's all down to this one. If Steve gets it, he's definitely won. If he doesn't, Owen could steal it on the last question. This is Golden Eye. What was that, Steve? Golden Eye. Yes. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. That, Come on, let's get one artist right out of all this. That birdie sings Goldeneye. <laughs> I'm not wrong. Owen, uh, if you can get the artist here, I'm going to declare this a tool he's, draw. He's wiki in this. Yeah, it was you too. It was, oh, he's actually written, that's, that's good knowledge, it's not quite, it was written by two of you two. It was written by the two that aren't the Edge and Bono. <laughs> uh, it was written by Mullen and Clayton. Um, the, the crap uh, two. The singer is, it's Tina Turner. Goldeneye, I found your secret. Oh, who, who sings? Who sings that, James? Tina Turner. Let's keep it that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but after that atrocious, <laughs> that was yeah. really too old men fighting over a coat now. <laughs> or um, fighting over a Brad Friedel shirt. Go to the Born yes, Offside indeed. podcast to find out more. Check out the <laughs> sister podcast. Yeah. But yes, I declare Steve the winner there. Well done, Steve. Fantastic. I think I deserved that thoroughly. <laughs> um, right, so what have we been watching this week? It's all been Bond films. Um, Owen, why don't you start us off? Okay, yeah. Um, I had Roger Moore, um, and I watched two films of his, Octopussy and The Man with the Golden Gun. Oh, so um, you had Roger Moore in your triple wall, and you got two Roger Moore films. Yeah, two Roger Moore films and a Roger Moore triple bill. Just absolutely overloaded. I actually realised... Permanently arched. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, uh, I hadn't seen any Roger Moore films outside of the sort of Bond canon, actually, apart from like his cameo in Spice World. But I didn't even remember that. That was just something I found when I uh, when I was googling him. So that, that took a bit of research, actually. But the two films I did watch, yeah, Octopussy and uh, Man with the Golden Gun, they they weren't brilliant films either of them. But um, yeah, I mean, Octopussy. It, it actually, it was the first one of the two that I watched, and it kind of remem- it reminded me that actually that's the Bond that I kind of remember from when I was a kid. It wasn't the, it wasn't the, you know, the, this modern kind of big, muscly, strong, uh, you know, qu- quite sort of action hero almost mm-hmm. kind of Bond. It was this kind of smooth, charming, quite witty sort of sort of Bond. Because as a kid, I always used to prefer Connery. I used to think Connery was was the best Bond, and my dad always used to tell me that no, I was wrong. It was actually Roger Moore, um, but I think that might just be because that's the Bond he sort of he knew from from when he was younger. But I, I quite quite actually like Moore as a Bond now. I think I've come around to see the way my dad did, and I think um, I think Connery's a good Bond, but more I've kind of yeah through these two films at least I seem to be leaning the other way now. Um, but yeah, I mean, the octopus is quite good in in a few respects. I quite like the interplay between him and um, and uh, most of the female characters. Actually, it's just <laughs> it's undeniably slightly misogynistic, but that's just 
it's kind of just cheeky, you know. It's, yeah. it's very playful and it's very fun. Um, and, you know, it's Bond, isn't it? What What yeah. do you expect Bond to do with the women, really? Um, <laughs> well, he's kind of public schoolboy, isn't it? It's almost yeah. like it's expected of his upbringing. I think, yeah. To be honest. <laughs> That's right. And, oh, actually, what I did really like about Octopussy was the very start when he's... Um, he gets on a little mini plane that comes out the back of a trailer and then he outruns a heat-seeking missile. And it's just like, it looks like it's made out of cardboard or, or, or something. And he just, yeah, outruns a heat-seeking missile. As he's landing, pulls up the wings, rolls up to this like petrol station and just says, fill her up. And I just thought, yeah, that's classic, isn't it? That's just, that is Bond. <laughs> um, you know, all he needed to do really was drop out of the sky on a Union Jack parachute and... Um, yeah, that would have been just perfect. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was quite a fun film, really. There's um, lots of gadgets in it. Uh, you know, he rides up in a moat in this sort of half-submerged fake crocodile submarine thing, which was quite fun. Uh, <laughs> I do remember that, actually. It's one of the few things I do remember about Pussy is that. Yeah. It, I must have seen it when I was like 12 or something like that last. But yeah. yeah I hadn't seen it for absolutely years either. And um yeah, and it's, it's called the famous one, which is referenced in Skyfall, which we'll talk about. Like, it was the pen. It's got the mm. pen that solves metal, um, which I thought was quite good. And it's got this little beacon in it that transmits radio signals and stuff. So, you know, quite sophisticated, I guess, for 1983 mm. that did all that. Um, and yeah, even the bad guys have got gadgets in this. So there's the guy who's got the spinning saw. It's on like a chain that he throws at people, which was quite, quite cool. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, it, the whole thing is just really silly, and, but it, it, it is fun to watch, you know, I, I had a lot of fun watching it and I suppose that's what it was, it was intended for really. It wasn't meant to be taken seriously. It was just a, a bit of a laugh and it looked like it was a good laugh to make as well. Ev- everyone seemed to be enjoying themselves making it. So yeah, I mean, it kind of, it, it was a lot better than I expected it to be. I was, yeah, yeah with it. But at the same time, I don't think it's a particularly great film. It's just a bit, bit, bit of fun, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's not one I'll watch again. I only watched it because it was, you know, we had to. And I think that's it now. I'm happy that I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll shout and buy the Blu-rays of it. So. Um, but yeah, Man with the Golden Gun, it was a bit of, um, although it also felt quite silly at times, it, it was a bit more of a serious film than Octopussy. I think it's because Roger Moore, it was made a lot earlier than than Octopus. It was about 10 years before. So I think they were all just trying to make a a serious kind of Bond film. But it's... The the one thing that I did remember about The Man with the Golden Gun from when I saw it before was Scaramanga. I used to think Mm. Scaramanga was quite good. He's one of the the most recognisable villains, I think, in the the Bond back catalogue. It's good for me as well, isn't it? So it's got a bit of weight, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But he's he's just not on screen that much, which is a shame, um, because he, he really is sort of one of the best Bond villains for me. And I think whenever he is on screen in this, he's he's just a pretty good villain. You know, he's got everything you want him to be. He's quite um, menacing, I guess, at times. And uh, of course, he's got, you know, the iconic golden gun, which looks like it's made out of bits of Lego. Um <laughs> That was that wasn't great, but um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a shame that he wasn't on there. He's a good actor, you know. Obviously, he's good as Dracula and stuff, but 
and he's in um, uh, The Wicker Man. It's great in The Wicker Man. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's good in this. He brings that same kind of presence to this. But um, yeah, he just wasn't on it as on screen as much as I, as I thought he was. But yeah, Roger Moore. I think Roger Moore is a lot better in this film. As I said, he, he sort of takes it a little bit more seriously. Seems to um, uh, seems to have stamped his own kind of identity onto this film. Whereas in Octopus, it was a bit more like he's just this is now. You know, he's established himself already as Roger Moore. He's just going through the motions a little bit in Octopussy. But I think this one's really kind of, um, he's, do, he's trying to do the character a bit more justice and, uh, and you know, bring it around to people seeing him as Roger mm. Moore. But kind of, kind of appreciated it from, from that respect, you know. But he's still lacking a little bit of grit. That, that's kind of what Sean Connery has, I think. When he's, when he was playing Bond, you know, in Doctor No in the first one, he's, mm. he is, more, um, I don't, I don't want to say gritty because it's not, it's not the right word, but I don't know. He's a, more, it's a lot more fanciful, you know, it's a very theatrical kind of actor. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Connery seems more believable as a secret agent. Exactly. That's it. More, exactly. more feels like a character. Yeah. It, yeah. That's right. I mean, it's a good character. I quite like yeah. it, you know, but you, in comparison to sort of Connery, I guess, yeah, he's he's a bit more camp, shall we say. Yeah. But it's a good performance. I quite enjoyed watching him in this as well, but for different reasons to Octopussy. Um, yeah, the other thing, I mean, there's a, the intentional sort of humour they try and put into The Man with the Golden Gun is a bit shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a recurring character, J.W. Pepper, who appears through a few different Bond mm. films. He plays like an American tourist here, um, and it was funny, but for all the right reasons, uh, all the wrong reasons, because he just didn't fit into the film at all. He's just kind of like crowbarred in to put this reference to him in there, and he's playing this really obnoxious American guy. And there's a bit where they're in like um, a car and they're riding through sort of town and stuff, and it's <laughs> yeah, he's just really irritated. <laughs> um, so I didn't didn't enjoy that either. Actually, that's kind of one of Octopus's strengths. Is it's it is just you you accept it all at face value. When it's funny, it's it is funny. And in this, when this was trying to be funny, sometimes it was um it was backfiring a little bit. But overall, yeah, it was quite enjoyable. Um, uh, I'm not really convinced it's the best Bond film I've seen. But um, again, yeah, it was just just quite fun. I just quite enjoyed, you know, the entertainment value of it. Um. It felt a little bit like a kid's film, I have to say. But, yeah, I won't hold that against it. I just think it's quite um, an adventure film and, yeah, quite fun. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, Well, the first film I had to watch, picked for myself, by myself, at random, was another (laughs) Roger Moore film, The Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah. That's um, a good one. Look at, you know, reading up on it afterwards, apparently it was, well, supposedly it is Roger Moore's best Bond film, um, or seen that way by many. It has got everything that you expect from a Bond film. Some exciting chases, a villain with a masterful yet slightly flawed plan, uh, a iconic henchman, and a base for the villain, that is quite frankly mental. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In um, 
Oh, what's it called now? Deliperous. Which is just <laughs> bizarre. Some kind of pod on four legs that comes out of the sea. Oh no, it's Atlantis. It's Deliperous is his super tanker. Um, but anyway, yeah, basically, um, this villain, Carl Stromberg, wants to initiate a nuclear war between America and the US so a new civilization will emerge and he can take over, which seems quite flawed to me because he's already got rid of his nukes by nuking these cities and doesn't seem to have much of an in the way of an army or a crew. And it just seems quite... It seems like a good idea that's really badly followed up by, by him, which is probably, you know, it probably happens quite a bit in in Bond films with their villains. Just good, good, good initial idea. Um, yeah. but they need someone that really put the legwork into, to fleshing it out. And... Yeah. They're, they're ideas people, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they've just never got anyone who logistics. There's, yeah. They've, they've got too many henchmen mm. and not enough accountants. And it always happens with problem. bad guys in Bond <laughs> films, in Star Wars. The henchmen are rubbish. Can't shoot yeah. for shit. Jaws in this one, though. Yeah, this is this is the first appearance, uh, one of two appearances of of Jaws, uh, the man with teeth made out of metal and can bite through steel chains. Apparently, I'm not really sure how it works, but it does. Um, <laughs> the film starts, and of course, James Bond is in a log cabin on the mountain somewhere, in bed with a beautiful woman. Um, then he gets a message that he has he has to come back in to MI6 because there's a mission for him. On the way he gets chased by Soviet agents and escapes on skis, which is really fun to watch because it's a, it's a chase on skis with guns. And then he goes off a cliff and you think, what's he going to do? How's he going to get out of this? Parachute. Not just a normal parachute. Union Jack parachute. Boom. Yeah. There you go. Textbook. There you go. If you didn't see me fall off the cliff or if you think somebody else might have fallen off the cliff, not James Bond. No, it's definitely James Bond. Look at the parachute. Yeah. Um, and then up starts the brilliant Carly Simon theme. Yeah. Uh, nobody does it better. And, it's one and of my the, favourite beginnings to a Bond film. It's also Alan Partridge's favourite Bond film. <laughs> and the opening montage is really good as well. Like the opening, um, what do they call them? Not the opening oh, the scene. sequence. The cr- yeah, yeah. That's the Total one. sequence, yeah, yeah. It's really good. Yeah. Um, so, yes, essentially they find out that a British submarine and an American submarine and a Russian submarine's all been captured. So he goes off to find Stromberg and sort it all out um, with the help of um, Q Branch's Lotus Spirit that is a sports car and a submarine. Yeah. So, yeah, there's Q throwing some good old gadgets at you. This film has so much of what people yeah. like iconically this, class as Bond. This, this, yeah, you've got Roger Moore, Union Jack Parachute, uh, Lotus that goes underwater, Jaws. Um, the ski scene. This is mental, problem. mental base. Yeah. You can't get enough of mental bad yeah. guy oh, base. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is Bond 101. Mm. Um, yeah. And did you enjoy it though, Steve? Oh, it was good fun all the way through. Oh, I like the way that he teams up with the Russian agent who's also got a fine Stromberg who is female, of course. Um, and they end up sleeping together despite the fact that Bond killed her fella in the ski chase. And she's promised to kill him once the mission's over and they don't need each other anymore. But she can't because she fell in love with him because he's James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. He doesn't fall in love with anyone. It's it's Sad. it's everything you expect from Bond, but not cheesy. But that's probably because it was sort of, it's early Bond. 
if they done it, if they done this with one of the later Bonds, then you would have thought oh, it's a bit cheesy because it's just throwing sort of everything you expect from Bond in there. But because it's one of the earlier Bond, it kind of it kind of works. Um, nice. And Jaws fatally kills a shark by biting it with his jaws. Yeah. So I'm, oh, that's better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the second Bond film I had to watch was one of Pierce Brosnan's efforts. Pierce Brosnan's first effort donning the James Bond suit, Goldeneye. My favourite. Fav- my favourite Bond. Favourite ever Bond. I think so. With um, one of the rare times you see one of the other agents, when another double O agent, when you see double O six, played by Sean Bean, mm. Alex Trevelyan, who who goes missing. Northern double O six. Yep. <laughs> You're gonna have Northern double O's. It's, it's gonna happen. License to kill. Yeah. <laughs> he did play sharp as well, though. So I mean, yeah. but yeah, there wasn't. I noticed there wasn't really any M in this film compared to some other Bond, but it was kind of one or two scenes of her, um, mm. and that was about it. Um, the only thing I didn't like was I was never quite sure of, of Sean Bean's role once he joined the Russians. Was he in charge, or was he sort of an elevated henchman, or, you know... I get the impression elevated henchman, yeah. like highly paid, but... Yeah, like like Darth Vader to the Emperor. Yeah, that's a, that's a good analogy, actually. Yeah. Star, yeah. You can draw an analogy. I can draw an analogy with anything from Star Wars or football. So yeah, I mean, uh, that's, yeah. that's a good one. Though. Yeah, um, but I thought Pierce Brosnan was really good. There were some exciting, you know, action scenes. Uh, the, it wasn't really a car chase, but the opening chase where no, it's not Money Penny, is it? It's just like a, a woman sent to assess him, and he just yeah. starts racing in in the car against this the other woman. Whose whose name? That was what disappointed me about Spy Who Loved Me. There was no um, pun in the Bond girl's name, but in um, Goldeneye, you've got on a top. Yeah, yeah which, on a top. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which was you know brilliant. Uh, one of the only things I didn't like was that when he was with Q and going for all the gadgets he was going to be given, there's a lot of sort of people in the Q department getting things wrong and cocking up, and it all felt a bit Austin Powers. It yes. all felt a bit slapstick, yeah. and I thought it just doesn't—it doesn't feel right. It doesn't seem. I know Q's meant to be a bit fun and with all the gadgets and everything, but just the people like cocking it up and breaking everything and not doing it right in the background—it just really felt Austin Powers. Which is a good thing in Austin Powers, but it's not really a good thing in James Bond. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, well, one of my films is the film that was directly before this, and I think that might have been a result of that I think they were trying to go back to uh, inject a little bit more of that campy bond in there hmm. um, well, should we talk about your two films James? Yeah well the first one I'm going to talk about, I, I actually got two films which were the last performances of their respective bond um, and both of them led to changes in style when the new bond films after these came about uh, and in some ways that, well then Neither of them are considered classic Bonds. first one is um, Die Another Day from 2002, which was Pierce Brosnan's last outing. Um, now, the, the opening to this is actually a really good pre-credit sequence. You've got um, James Bond has gone undercover in North Korea. He's investigating a, a North Korean terrorist uh, and diamond smuggling and things like that. And at the end of it, he ends up getting captured. And you're like, oh, hang on. 
what's going on here? This is this is a bit darker. Um, but then Madonna's theme tune kicks in, uh, which is by far the worst Bond theme <laughs> of all time. By a long, some kind of post dance disc. Oh, it's just horrible. Okay, I've not got a huge amount of time for Madonna post eighties, and this was just poor. She didn't understand what a Bond theme would be about, and sadly, from then on, the film just gets worse. Uh, it's not a great film at all. The um, it's got some terrible plotting. Uh, and some really unbelievable plotting as well. You've got things like, well, actually, it's quite interesting. Roger Moore criticised this Bond for being ridiculous and unrealistic, and he <laughs> himself said, and that comes from the guy who played Bond in space. Okay, So he recognised how camp and ridiculous his was and still thought he had room to criticise Die Another Day. Um, you've got things like gene manipulation, where a North Korean general's son turns himself via gene manipulation to look like a public English school uh public English schoolboy educated man, millionaire. Um so changes his entire ethnicity with gene manipulation. Um that's science, I'm telling you now. <laughs> there's a giant ice palace. Yep. Come on, we've just had there a is... we just had a base on four legs that rises out of the sea. I mean Oh yeah, yeah, no, I, I understand that. There's an invisible car. Right. Yeah, you had a Lotus that went underwater. This is an invisible car, apparently. Um, yeah, the diamonds are being used to build a giant space weapon which can focus a massive laser on the Earth or something. Oh, it's all about career, and apparently they're going to cut career in half or something like that. It's or into, into North and South. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. It's basically the North want to invade the South again. They're going to do something with it. I, it makes no sense to me. Madonna shows up as a fencing instructor at one point as well. Can't get filthy mitts off this bloody <laughs> film. Um, it's quite interesting because this came out in the very same year as The Born Identity and Triple X. Now, one of those films decided to take action spy thrillers in one direction. <laughs> One of them decided to take it in another direction. And, and high rise Q for a sequel. But I recognise that it isn't a good film. But I, I love it for no. other reasons. So yeah, um, so Die Another Day could have gone one of two ways and, uh, it ended up going down the ridiculous triple X route, which doesn't, it just doesn't work for this, for this character. And it's really sad actually, because Bond is, um, in prison for a year until M gets his release and it seems that they dwell on that for about 15 minutes and then that's all done and dusted with. So it, it, it's a bit of a shame that we don't get much acting, shall we say, from Pierce Brosnan. In that case, he just does his Bond thing, I think. You, Do we ever you, get much acting from Pierce Brosnan? <laughs> I, I, I think that's a little bit harsh. I, I think in the few early Bonds, he, he, I think he's a good Bond. I, I do think he is a good Bond. Um, I've not seen him in too much else, actually, to be honest, outside the Bond. Mrs. Doubtfire, I saw him in, uh, of course. Is he in Lawnmower uh, Man? I think he was in Lawnmower Man. He is in Lawnmower Man as well, isn't he? Yeah. Um, and he's in, is he in Mamma Mia, which I've no intention of watching. I've no intention. He is in that. Yeah. I've no intention of watching that. He is actually in a very good film um, called The Fourth Protocol with uh, Michael Caine, and he plays a Russian sleeper agent. It's based on a... Can't Len Deaton book, I think. Anyway, um, again, wildly off track. So yeah, Die Another Day, not good. Don't watch it. Um, 
Uh, the other film I had was Licence to Kill, which was Timothy Dalton's last Bond. Uh, Timothy Dalton only did two bombs at the end of the 80s. People talk about Daniel Craig's Bond as having a debt to the Bourne films, and that, yeah, you can't deny that, really. If it wasn't for the Bourne films, I don't think we'd have the the Bond films that we've had over the last couple of years. That said, they did try that direction, not quite as harsh and gritty, but they did try that direction towards the end of the 80s with Timothy Dalton's Bond, and Licence to Kill is actually a 15, uh, which was the first 15 Bond, um, and I think Skyfall was 12A, so it, it was a, a harder, grittier Bond than they'd had before. And interestingly, in Licence to Kill, it's personal mission. Basically, um, at the beginning, Timothy Dalton's Bond resigns his commission and his licence to kill to personally stop a drug lord and avenge his CIA best friend, Felix Leiter, who, um, on his wedding day, his wife was murdered and he was fed to a shark. Yeah. <laughs> kind of survived. Um, but it's led to one of my favourite one-liner bits in a uh, Bond film. And it's actually a written one-liner. Bond gets back to Felix Leiter's house and Felix Leiter's there, barely alive on the couch. And there's a note pinned to him that said, he disagreed with something that ate him, which is actually really lovely wordplay. I (laughs) I really enjoyed that. Um, But yeah, it starts off, does start off very close. Dalton is very smooth, public schoolboy, but he does have an edge to him. And starts off with a plane hijack, very much like the plane hijack at the beginning of The Dark Knight Rises. And Bond lowers himself down from a helicopter and attaches something to a plane and they end up tipping up the plane. Amazing. Um, And then he parachutes out in his wedding suit, lands... And then Felix gets married. Absolutely textbook. Great stuff there from Bond. Um, This is one of the earlier appearances of Benicio Del Toro, who plays one of the main henchmen in this. He's pretty good in this. Um, It also reunites agents Johnson & Johnson from the Die Hard film. Uh, They play two agents in this film. Uh, You know, the, uh, the guys who take over in Die Hard from the local police. Yeah. Yeah, they play two agents in this as well, uh, which is quite fun to see. <laughs> Are they called Johnson uh, & Johnson? No, they're not oh, called Johnson & Johnson in this. Uh, but the other <laughs> things we've got going on in this film, again, it, it is still a little bit ridiculous. There are a lot of the one-liners. There's a lovely kind of knowing point where Bond is resigning his commission to go after the man who nearly killed his friend and murdered his friend's wife. Um and M's there and he says, your license to kill is revoked. And they're at he- um, Ernest Hemingway's old house and they ask Bond to hand in his gun and his badge kind of thing, like an, like an American cop would. And he escapes and he says, a farewell to arms, which is obviously a Hemingway book. Um, so it's, it has got, a f- they have tried to keep that one liner thing going on there. The technology still great in this. We've got, um, they're actually using CD-ROMs. This is 1989. Hmm. Did we did we have CD ROMs in? I don't remember. I remember big floppy three and a half. No, not. I remember five inch floppy disks. <laughs> um, so CD ROMs seem that seemed quite futuristic to me. There is a ridiculous bar fight. Where no one gets killed, uh, and someone tries to stab someone with a mounted swordfish. So yeah, I know what I said about it being a bit more realistic <laughs> and gritty. Um, 
it, it was still definitely a Bond film. Oh, and also quite interestingly, and this is something they referenced in Skyfall as well, Bond gets given a gun by Q, which reads his palm print. Uh, and obviously oh. that was that that's actually in the Skyfall trailer that they show that bit. But so that was clearly a nod back to this film, because my understanding is there's a nod to every Bond film in Skyfall. So this was the nod there. Also, this is really interesting that Q gets to do a lot of field work. It's the most screen time that Desmond Llewellyn had as Q. He actually comes out into the field and he's assisting Bond in his personal mission against Her Majesty's Secret Service orders. It's, it's, that's quite cool. Um it's also got Wayne Newton in it for a second, the old Las Vegas cabaret singer as some kind of religious cult leader. Very weird. But at the end, the massive weird secret layer, someone presses a self-destruct button somehow, obviously. Uh, and so the whole thing starts collapsing and they need to get out of there. Um, Bond ends up driving a truck at one point towards the end as well, which is that there's not too many of the cool, sexy cars in this. He's driving a lorry. Um, which I think, again, was meant to be part of the more realistic style. It was good. It wasn't brilliant. It was a 6 out of 10 film. Um, but it was better than people told me years ago that Dalton films were like. And I was always under the impression they were massive failures. Uh, but apparently the reason there were no Bond films between, I think it was five years before goldeneye came out after license to kill it was just because of court cases over who actually owned the rights to the character of james bond and that's what kept it uh kept the films from being made so yeah not bad but yeah i wasn't given two great films i'll be honest okay uh quickly what did jerry um send yes. you oh, oh you know what? i've just wherever i just put my phone which had my email this is shocking um hang on there it is right okay so jerry got i believe jerry had two pretty decent films actually um so jerry had you only live across i'll just read out his email because he has yeah. spent a bit of time re- uh writing it so he said this is one of my favorite bond films and i think it was particularly apt for a re- rewatch before skyfall as there were plenty of references to it and similarities namely in the usage of far east locations and the epic scale of it this was when bond became grand there were lots of long shots of cities and locations which are now so typical but weren't really done in this way before connery is brilliant as ever the supporting cast are probably a bit weaker than in other films but generally it's a well put together film the plot obviously has bond faking his own death which is similar but not quite the same as skyfall again i think this probably influenced mendez and deacons more than any other in the series it wants to be huge in scale it aims higher than bonds did before i think and it started that real globe-trotting feel of Bond films from the late Connery era and made Moore's Bond so memorable. It has some iconic scenes and uh, settings, which, of course, inspired Austin Powers, so that's probably the best effect of it all. Overall, definitely in my top five Bond films and possibly third after Skyfall and Casino Royale. Mm. So, turns out he likes Skyfall. Oh, who didn't, who'd have known? <laughs> um, and the other one he had was A View to a Kill, another Roger Moore film. He says... Much worse than I remembered. Moore is too old and fat and doesn't really care, which makes the whole thing a bit shit. Grace Jones is iconic. Grace Jones scares me. I've seen her live a couple of times and she's an absolutely frightening woman. She she is awesome in A View to a Kill, I think. Um, so that was me saying that. Um, oh, back to Jerry now. And I suppose it was having Bond sleep with a black girl for a change. Oh, Jerry. <laughs> 
but otherwise, there's nothing remarkable about this film. Otherwise, from how utterly ludicrous Moore seems as Bond. Brilliant contrast with how Skyfall treated Bond's age, though. There's the odd decent shot of Paris, but this is actually one of my least favourite Bonds and really hits every stereotype people have about the series in the worst possible way. So uh, you didn't like that one. No. <laughs> um, before we go on to talk about Skyfall, I come from a small town on the south coast called Swanage. Some of you may have heard of it, some of you may not have done. Population of about 10,000 people. One of our own played M. In five Bond films. Really? Robert Brown, born in Swanage, 1921, died in Swanage in 2003, played, mm-hmm. well, he played Admiral Hargreaves in The Spy Who Loved Me, and M is Admiral Hargreaves in future Bond roles. He then played him in Octopussy, A View to Kill, The Living Daylights, and License to Kill. He played oh, M. so that's the so, one I saw, okay. Yeah. So he was M in all those films. Oh, that's so, nice. There we go. Little local link for you there. Yeah. Well, some people come from bigger places where it's probably not that hard to find somebody who went on to do something quite memorable and credible. <laughs> one day you'll be one of those people, Steve. <laughs> I'm probably, I'm probably second on the list at the moment. <laughs> uh, right then, Skyfall. Um, Daniel Craig's third outing as Bond. James, you want to set this up for us? Um, remember, listeners, we will be doing spoiler alert, but we'll tell you when we're doing it. Yeah, so, yeah, Skyfall, it is... So I just want to say, from a, a slightly non-film-related point of it, uh, apparently it's sold out everywhere. It's had a huge opening. Uh, it's quite possibly going to be the biggest film, box office-wise, in the UK this year, which is which I'm going to say now is good, because it is a good film. But um, and, just and, you've had, and you've had, like, um, the Avengers and Batman and mm-hmm. Prometheus to compete with. I know yeah. I know it's Bond, and I know it's 50 years of Bond, but you've got three massive films to compete with. Yeah, so if you're tough, and it's not if you're... in the summer either. No. You know, it's, 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 it's at the back end of the year, but, yeah, well, it's going to do really... an hour to get into this. I mean, wow. I've been to this in the world in, in Digcote, which is... It's not... A, a massive screen, but it's not a small one by any means. It's got about five or six screens in it. It's the first yeah. time I've not only had to queue to get in, but queue for an hour. It was, um, yeah, the whole the whole screen was just packed. Yes. Yeah. Um, so the, it, it's going to be big. It's going to be popular. Um, it's Daniel Craig's third outing. It's it. I think it's the first proper Bond from Daniel Craig because the first two were kind of almost an origin story. Uh, and a continuation of that origin story. This is, right, okay, we've got James Bond now. Uh, that's the way it felt to me. Um, so, yeah, it's... I don't know what else you want me to say, Steve. Mm. I don't I don't know what to say about the plot without kind of spoiling it, which is quite... Yeah, uh, there's, some general, there's some general things we can say, mm. obviously. Um, it's the first film of the series directed by Sam Mendes, and that's very interesting. They've got a British-born actor, uh, director back in. Uh, to direct it, and he's not really known for his action films at all. Uh, so that that's that's interesting to see how that's worked there. Um, and the other thing, if you've seen the trailer, you will have seen Javier Bardem uh, as the main antagonist of as, this film. As a brilliant villain, mm, he, yes. can't, he kind of mixes the like archetypal old school Bond villain who's a bit mental. Um, 
you know, and a bit over the top with kind of somebody yeah. that you can kind of believe. But I've, yes. I, I've, I found there was something slightly more maniacal about having a very camp and probably bisexual Bond villain. I, I think what was great, about, like you say, he was larger than life, camp and theatrical, which is what you want your Bond villains to be, but they had to give him a realistic, scary edge mm. as well, which, which he, they did do. He looked ridiculous um, as well. He looked a bit silly as well. His kind of just appearance, the hair and hair. the kind yeah. of, yeah. It all looked, and it, the, what he wore, it all looked a bit silly. Yeah. In fact, um, Jerry, in his uh, review, he did, he said, he said, Bardem stole the show. The first scene of his is absolutely brilliant. A single take for the first bit that will become an iconic piece of cinema. Love the homosexual tension in that bit as well. Made me and everyone else laugh. Um, so, yeah, no, Bardem was great. What I did love, and do you know what? Bonds can sometimes live or die by their opening pre-credit sequence. And I, I think this pre-credit sequence mm. had plenty of action. There was some humour. There were some great stunts in it as well. I particularly loved the digger. Uh, the use yeah. of the digger. It's, just, it, it's, nice. it, it's in all the trailers, but it's yeah. just it's just where the digger digs into the carriage. He jumps off into the carriage and just straightens his suit and yeah, and carries that, that on. Was a, that was a nice touch. And then into what I thought was actually a pretty good theme from Adele. Uh, I, I like the, the theme to Skyfall. And that credit sequence was very nicely done as well. It's a yeah. very, very good Bond credit sequence, I thought. So, obviously, usually we don't talk about films title sequences when we are reviewing films on here. But because it's Bond, it feel I feel like we have to. I feel like it is a part of Bond. It's something that people expect to see, you know, the, the silhouette of Bond shooting down the gun barrel and then a title sequence with silhouetted naked women and stuff like that. And, it, and I thought this was all really good. And that's a really good start to the film, but it still needs to deliver. And I think it did. It, wa- it was imp- too much away. Yeah, it was impressive. It was good. It, it fitted with the song well. Um, it set into the film quite well. Um, what do we think about the reintroduction of Q? Because in the first two Daniel Craig films, we've not um, had Q um, or Q Branch. Um, and in I the, didn't, I, I didn't like him the, actually. Really? Did you not? I, no. I like I liked him, the character, and I liked the the kind of relationship, or not so much the relationship, but the dialogue he had with Bond. Um, the kind of back and him. forth, a bit of banter, and you know, I thought he was just too quirky for a Bond film. I, uh, I'll be, he did feel a, at times a little bit like Moss from the IT crowd. He was, yeah. I mean, that introduction scene in the museum, uh, or no art gallery, wasn't it? Yeah, I just kind yeah. of thought, yeah, I don't think I'm gonna like this character very much. <laughs> I just found him a little bit annoying. I mean, the, the the scenes later on, I I didn't hate him. Okay, I'll yeah. put it that way. There were scenes later on where I thought, okay, he works quite well in the context of what's going on here. But that oh, that introduction bit just um, there was just something about him. But I mean, in, in in the last two Bond films, we didn't have Q. Was the last yeah. outing? Was the last outing that we had a Q was when because John Cleese came in as an as assistant to Q, didn't he? Did he get a Bond film on his own as as um, Q? I'm just trying to think. I think he did die another day on his own. Yeah, he did. I think, yeah, did I he do the last? Bro- did he, wasn't in that. Yeah, 
Uh, did, yeah, I'm sure because in one film he was like Q's assistant. Yeah, because Llewellyn I'm, was getting I'm, old. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure yeah. I'm sure he done one on his own, and, and yeah. people didn't really warm to it. And then for some reason, in the first two Craig, Daniel Craig films, whether it's because of that or whether it's because it didn't really fit in with the plot, they didn't go with the Q or Q branch at all. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I haven't seen a Bond since, well, apart from, until this year, I hadn't seen a Bond since Goldeneye. So I was, I was you, just. Have you seen the first, have you seen Craig's first two? Oh, yeah, no. yeah, you yeah, have, no, I've, right, yeah. I have watched them, yeah. Just, it wasn't until this year that I, I saw them. Okay. Um, so I didn't really notice the missing cue, to be honest, to most. I thought they did quite well without it. Yeah. Um, uh, again, they were a little bit kind of origin story and he had a very yeah. personal, uh, vendetta, really, didn't Sorry. he? In, 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 especially in the second film. Yeah. I think in those two, to have, the, I mean, especially as they were trying to make it a bit more, um, serious or realistic, I guess, it, to have a guy with gadgets probably wouldn't have worked, which is yeah. what he actually did quite well in this film with the Q, with introducing yeah. Q. They made it so it wasn't too ridiculous. It was still kind of they a were, gadget, but it was... Pretty believable, though, weren't yeah. they? Yeah, they weren't exactly. camp and ridiculous. No, um, The other thing that Jerry said, because I'll just use the, the other bit, of, um, Jerry said, best Bond ever. So Jerry, Jerry is our resident definite Bond fan. He's got the whole, he's got the box set. Um, absolutely loved it. Deakins is a genius. Deakins was, um, director of cinematography, I believe. Uh, and this was generally one of the most visually stunning films I've seen all year. Some of the shots were mesmerizing. The, the set- silhouette fight scene was, the silhouette fight scene was wonderful. Yeah. And the setting, I mean, mostly set in Britain, this Bond film. I mean, usually, yeah. usually you think of Bond films, one of the, the 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 things about them is they're set all around the world in sort of more exotic and glamorous locations, and this one, other than you know the the, the opening and um the, and Shanghai, yeah, and yeah. Shang, Shanghai, it was all set in Britain, which was which was quite nice, really. I don't know if they'd done that intentionally because it's the fiftieth year of Bond and Bond's British and all of that. I really like them using sort of the under the tunnels under London where, you know, Winston Churchill based himself in, in World War Two and yeah. all that kind of stuff. It was just you know, and, and it was all very British. You had a lot of people in British police uniforms and double decker buses and all things like that. And it was just sort of I don't know why, but it looked really good. But then the scenes in Shanghai and the opening scenes and I forget where it was now, but they looked really good as well. Yeah, it was it was a wonderfully shot film. It looked fantastic all the way through, and it wasn't just oh look, we're using an exotic location because they weren't always using an exotic location. Like you say, that silhouette fight scene was fantastic, and then uh, um, there were a few other scenes that just looked really good. There's one which everyone's seen in the trailer of just Bond in his tux stood up on a boat coming through some red flags in, in Shanghai. It just looked yeah. fantastic. Talking about the way the film looks, the are the Komodo dragon scenes referencing mm. anything because they looked yeah. a bit stupid. It, it, it was it reminded me of um, Return of the Jedi with when they fe- <laughs> when they fell into the Rancor pit. Uh, I think, but that's probably I, I don't well, know if it's Komodo dragons specifically, um, well, but yeah. having creatures eat people is definitely a Bond motif. Um, but like no, I said, in License to Kill, a shark ate. Felix yeah. Leiter. 
Um, they, I, it wouldn't surprise me if they were a reference to a specific um, Bond film. I was quite happy to see them just because I love Komodo dragons. I think yeah. they're awesome. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't look very good, though. I think the, the animation no. was a bit ropey. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's that's a that's a CGI issue. Yeah. What what you're saying is though, and they should have put Daniel Craig in with two real Komodo with real ones. Yeah. yeah. Why not? I'm yeah. saying. You know. And the way that uh, I'm not going to talk about it actually. That going to a spoiler. I'll I'll okay. shut up for a second. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, if... Other things I'd just say generally, um, great performances all round. Mm. Uh, great to see Judy Dench with more screen. Yeah, we spoke about Goldeneye and her only having a few scenes in gold in her first ever Bond. Good to see her get some weighty screen time. The other thing, it, it really reminded me at times, and I mean this in a good way, of um, like a, an amazing, better than ever episode of Spooks. I don't know if either of you two have ever watched the Yeah, BBC. yeah, I watched, yeah, I've seen most of it, yeah. Yeah, it um, reminded me of that. I, I see, I I see was, what you mean, but that's I reckon that could well be down to the, the largely British setting of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I think, um, and maybe a bit of, and maybe this, I, no, I'll save that for spoiler alert as well. Um, <laughs> I hate doing that, but I don't want to ruin this for anyone because no. it's a, an well, excellent well, film. What will lead us into spoiler alert quite nicely, because I think we said all we can say without going into spoiler alert is, we won't go into this in too much detail now, but if you're a Bond fan, in this film, there are lots of nods to old Bond films. As James alluded to it earlier, apparently is a nod to every previous Bond film in there, which I'd have to be some massive Alan Partridge-style Bond nerd to have picked them all up. But <laughs> but even as a non-Bond fan, I know it's four or five comfortably, which is, yeah, which, yeah. which, which, and it doesn't overdo it. It doesn't, like, sort of kick you in the face with it. But no, although apparently the one thing it does overdo, just speaking to people, it didn't really affect my enjoyment of it. People have talked about the um, product placement it, it ruining it, it for. It didn't annoy me. The only the only one that blatantly stood out to me was Heineken, but he had his hand covered over the Heineken la- label. Yeah, so there was I also mean, really near mm. the beginning a very long lingering shot of his watch. Yeah. Which I do know there is a certain watch that has paid for there, the there's, there's, there's always a Bond um, watch, isn't there? There was the fact that he had a, he's got a Sony Xperia mm. as his phone. And yeah. But again, it didn't linger on the, it's only because no. I knew that beforehand. I spotted it, I think. It's only because you had um, an advert for every single Bond I product know, before yeah, the film. Was, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. About half Sony an hour of, adverts. yeah. Oh, and there was the other thing that someone else pointed out to me where during the pre-credit sequence, like when they're chasing uh, when there's the chase on a train and some cars come off and she's going, oh, uh, M, uh, M goes something like, what was that? She goes, oh, Volkswagen Beetles. <laughs> it's just like, I, I just thought it was a joke I hadn't got, but someone tells me, no, that was product placements as well. So, well, um, it makes me want to buy one, seeing one of those fall off a train. <laughs> Although apparently it's not as worse as Die Another Day was. And apparently they sold the, uh, product placement. They sold 20 different product, Product worst deals. worst film I've seen for product placement is iRobot. Mm, comfortably, comfortably, even puts he even puts on a pair of Converse and sort of talks about the brand for about five minutes. Yeah. Um. Anyway, enough about rubbish Will Smith yes. films. Um. 
Yes, we'll go on to spoiler at now. James, before we go to spoiler at, tell listeners where they can find the website and Twitter and all that. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, so you can find the website at failedcritics.com. We've got some nice articles coming up this week, including the first of our decade in film, 1960s, which is 1960, covered by me. Uh, we've the only one old enough to remember it. Yeah, just about, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I used to go down to the old Nickelodeon, watch two films for a penny. <laughs> farthing or something um so yeah we've got that at failcritics.com you can find us on uh, uh facebook at facebook.com slash failcritic find us on twitter at at failed critics and i've also changed my twitter name so if you want to follow me you can find me at at failed james okay and what's up next week next week we are reviewing paul thomas anderson's new potential masterpiece hearing some very good things about it the not very disguised attack on scientology the master starring philip seymour hoffman and joaquin phoenix um okay so now it is time for james bond skyfall spoiler alert if you haven't seen the film and you don't want it spoiled don't listen on past this point now i've said that you've only got yourself to blame if you ruin the film for yourself yeah Right, so, spoiler alert, so everyone knows clearly now, where are we going to start with this? Shall we start with probably the most fun part for a Bond geek, all the nods to previous Bond films? Yeah, what did you see then, Steve? I, the, the, the DB5, obviously, oh, which, 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 got, which, which got audible cheers in that the cinema. Got cheers from, in my yeah. screen so, as well, actually. <laughs> and then, and then the ejector seat joke with M, which that was, was brilliant. Yeah, which was actually really funny. It was. It was working really well. And I thought that that actually summed up a lot of the film is that it paid homage. It paid tribute to old Bonds without veering into Mm. just self-indulgent nostalgia. Mm. Uh, There was... They didn't just give him a DB5. There was a reason that it was there, kind of, kind of thing. And and the fact that it opened up and it still shot, it still had machine guns coming out of the number plates and stuff like that. That That, was when when it actually fired the machine guns at at his mansion, um, or the old the old Bond estate, and he was in there. It just popped out. You just thought that's brilliant. That's just yeah. That's you you don't see that in new Bond sort of like that. That that was a nice touch. Mm. Although it made me think, because he obviously it was his car, and and he had sort of an affinity with it. But you've never seen Daniel Craig's Bond drive it. James Bond's a Time Lord. Well, there is a there is a quite a popular fan theory that James Bond is just a code name for the agent, like 007 is a number and a different person. Although this film yeah. kind of deals with that yeah. slightly, doesn't it? Yeah. To be honest, yeah, it kind and, of puts that beyond that. And, and even though it's quite a popular fan theory, there's so many holes in it. But you've got lots of different. Pe- you've got James Bond seemingly carrying on from every film he's done, but different people playing him and not really getting any older. It's like a time lord, isn't it? It's quite simple, really. James Bond, yeah, like Batman. James- I mean, Batman's a time lord because he's had lots of different actors over different times. Yep. <laughs> Does it mean Sherlock Holmes is a Time Lord? <laughs> Does it mean Dracula's a Time Lord? No, Dracula's a vampire. <laughs> Doesn't need to be a Time Lord. You're not thinking it's through. Right, so James was Bond... Was Casino Royale, though, like a reboot, anyway? Yeah, I think it was a reboot. So, Any, Daniel Craig's any, not a Time Lord. Anyway, let's get off of this <laughs> stupid, ridiculous thing that I thought up. Um, 
Yeah, the other nod I know obviously was when he was talking to Q and he, Q gave him the two gadgets, which was basically a radio and a gun that no one else could fire. And he said, it's not exactly Christmas, is it? And Q said, what were you expecting? An exploding pen. We don't exactly do that anymore. Mm. And that, that goes back to yeah. Gold, Goldeneye, where Q did give him a, a pen, which was a grenade. If he clicked it three times, um, it blew up. Yeah. Yeah, because that was the whole Alan coming clicking a pen thing. That was quite yeah. cool. Um, the, also, I think that Christmas line could technically be regarded as a tribute because in I think it's the world is not enough or tomorrow never dies. I always get those two confused because they came out one after the other. Both begin with T and they both got Brosnan. But um, uh, Denise Richards played a character called Christmas Jones, I believe. So just getting the word Christmas in there, that could be yeah. a tribute. Because um, that was when Bond said at the end something along the lines of um, Christmas comes once a year. Mm. Boom! <laughs> Such a ladies' man. He's only going to let her orgasm once. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, you know, I'm sure there was many more that people would have noticed as well. Yeah, well, and the the big obvious one is at the end where we had and. I, I might be kind of sod it. I am spoiling a little bit of the end of the Dark Knight Rises here, but you, that's been out so long you have to have seen it, so I don't care. Um, there was a Dark Knight Rises moment at the end where, like at the end of that film, all of a sudden one of the characters' names. There we go. One of the characters' names. You go, oh, oh, look at that. That's a little nod. Hmm. Um, that's all I'll say. Um, with this, all of a sudden we find out that. Uh, her surname is Money Penny, and ah, mm. oh, this is where Money Penny cut. This is the origin story of Money Penny. We haven't had a Money Penny yet, though. In a, well, we haven't had a Q. We haven't had a Money Penny yet in a Daniel exactly. Craig Bond. So this is in, in many ways, this film feels a bit like a reboot because, all right, you haven't got a new Bond, but you've got a new Money Penny. You've got a new M by the end of the film, and you've got a new Q as well. Mm. Yeah, and, I mean, it and M- made it feel like it is a, a trilogy of and, films, now, and, isn't it? And, and, M- it yeah. and, and MI6 have had to realise they've got to revamp, redo the way they do things as well. Yes. So Yeah, this is the this is the bridge between hmm. Bond's origin story and I'm assuming at least two just standalone Bond films to hmm. come. Yeah, has yeah. Craig signed on for two more? He's signed yeah. on for two more, apparently. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't mean he's only doing two more, but he's definitely signed on for two more. And that probably will be it, to be honest. Mm. I mean, you, how long does it take to make a film? It's going to take him at least three years to make make each film. I mean, unless they film them like back-to-back or something. Yeah, he's you, not going to do you've got You've got to be a certain age to play Bond. And, you know, and then everyone's going to be guessing you're going to be playing the next Bond, and we don't want to get into that now, so we could be here forever. <laughs> yeah, although they they dealt, I thought they dealt with the whole age of Bond in this film well. Yeah, they did. They just they just put him through all the tests that he failed. Yeah, and just fiddled uh, it. Yeah, he felt more like that. Felt a little bit more like Ian Fleming's Bond. Mm. You know, just a little bit kind of yeah. He's just held together with sticky tape and booze or something like that. <laughs> he's not a superhero, uh, and I thought that was good. And I think that's why the the youthful cue worked for me anyway mm. is because it was showing the difference between the old and new ways in a lot of mm. ways not just the mm. technology but also in the actors portraying them that kind of thing and how they go about their job lots of like Bond usually there's lots of funny lines I liked it when Bond came back it was 
was found in where well, he was in Em's house, and she was saying you need to get yourself a, a shower and changed, and he said something like I'll go back to my old flat. She said we've sold it. Standard practice with a with a dead agent with no next of kin, and he said I'll get a hotel. And she said, You're not bloody staying here. Yeah, <laughs> that um, in fact, I think the heart of this film was uh, Judy Dench, Dame Judy Dench uh, yeah. as Q, no as M, and uh, Daniel Craig as Bond. I thought. Uh, especially as the, the kind of third act kicked in, I thought there were some really nice scenes between those two. Uh, and then with Albert Finney as Kincaid as well. I like Kincaid. Um, the Skyfall residence. Who's just sort of been pottering around this, this mansion that no one's lived yeah. in for decades. And He's still there. As soon as, as soon as the third act started, who started thinking, Home Alone? This is massively <laughs> Home Alone. <laughs> Bond does I, Home Alone. What's, <laughs> what's going on here? I, I thought I, I thought Kincaid would be getting killed as well. I just thought there's no yeah. way this old boy's going to survive yeah. this. He's getting winged somehow with a stray bullet. and or he's, Yeah. He's gonna play that, that was a good shootout at the end. Yeah. I, 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 do you know what? This film was really solid all the way through. Mm. I didn't I didn't look at my watch once. I wasn't bored. It's nearly two hours, 25 mm. minutes, but it doesn't feel like it. It yeah, zips I mean, along at fair old pace. I wasn't bored by it. I just think that final third, it kind of tailed off a little bit in terms of quality. There was some great bits towards the end of it. It was just yeah. as you sort of drove into Skyfall and you saw this, this house and you thought, okay, some, some real big event is going to happen in this place now. And then it was just like, oh, well, they're just going to spend a lot of time talking inside the house. And then it's just going to be a lot of explosions. For a bit, I was like, okay, that's a bit anticlimactic. But then the final scene with the knife in the back was mm. just yeah. <laughs> what a brilliant reaction! Yeah. I think his little sort of sigh and roll of his eyes that he's actually been killed by Bond was just yeah. just made me laugh. It was brilliant. He was brilliantly cut, and then and then oh my god, the the death, the death of M. Yeah, <laughs> uh, very sad. <laughs> It didn't make me cry, though. It didn't make me cry, and that it, surprised me. I mean, obviously, with, with Judy Dench getting older, and uh, it, was, it was inevitable it was going to come soon. You obviously didn't know it was coming in this film, but you had to sort of yeah, expect it. Yeah, no, it, was, it, shook, it shook me out. It yeah. shocked me. It shook I me did, I well. didn't think. You know, I didn't think it was going to happen. I thought she'd see out the, the film alive, yeah. at the very least. Mm. I was expecting she'd still be M by... Although a lot of the film was geared up to her losing the role as M, through, profession, mm, yeah, through professional beings be rather than... Replaced, yeah. Mm. Um, but it's, her, her death was a little bit sudden, though, don't you think? The way that she was just sort of standing there and suddenly just collapsed and then she was dead about mm, two minutes later. Yeah, yes. but, I mean, I think everyone really knew that in the house she had got injured when she pretended she hadn't. Yeah. But, <laughs> mm, yeah. I mean, it's just a, a minor thing for me. I, ju- I just think the way she was just sort of standing there and then she had a quip and then suddenly it's like, oh, no, she's fainting and she knows she's dying. Mm. It's just kind of, uh, they could have done something a bit better with that. Um, I think, yeah. What do we think of Ralph Fiennes as Mallory, who is now the new M, and I imagine he'll be in the role of M for a fair while to come? I liked him. Mm. Yeah, yeah, he was very solid. It, and he got to expand his character a little mm. bit. And um, kind of had you to... thought he was one thing, and it turns out actually no, he's someone I can trust a bit, so that's good. Mm. And kind of had to not earn Bond respect, but he's somebody that Bond can respect because of what he's done himself in in the military. Yeah, you're right. And... He did have to earn Bond's yeah. respect. Mm. Yeah, 
definitely. Yeah. Um, and and vice versa as well. Bond had to earn his respect, I think, because he didn't. He thought Bond was from the old days mm. as well. So that, that's going to be an interesting say, dynamic. Didn't they say Mallory had been spent a time in Ireland in and, Ireland, and yeah. they'd been mm. captured and everything like that? And it was in it was in the shootout in the in Parliament where he really kind of got Bond respect by yeah. fighting back, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Because he'd just been been hit by a bullet, hadn't he? Yeah. He just sort of dived onto another yeah. gun and stuff. Yeah. I think that he was really he wasn't sort of um, introduced in a way that he uh, he just overshadowed anybody else. No. It was just kind of like a very gently um, showing you that he's got a bit of character and they they are developing him slightly. And then the yeah. final scene where he's you know you see his M and he's yeah. Like, yeah. It makes you, you want to see more of him. You never now, in in, in some films like that. I mean, it would have helped more if you if if you knew Judy Dench was leaving. But you know, you might people might have thought, right, that's a new M, he's gonna be M. At some point, maybe yeah. not this film, but another film, that's M. And you never thought that throughout this film. You never thought well, he's no, obviously gunning for he M's thought, job. He he's was gonna... the um he's the kind of blockage that's been put in the way yeah. to getting M's uh, yeah. getting M and Bond's way and it turns out no, I like that. The other thing I did want to say, actually, is when I was talking pre-spoiler alert about it reminding me of the BBC TV series Spooks, the the major theme of probably the last three or four series of that was about a head, although in Spooks it's MI5, but head of uh, an intelligence agency who is having to face up to the sins of their past as well mm. and also adjust from the old world of spying to the new world of spying. So I just want, you know, the fact is, I think Judy Dench is fantastic yeah. in this, in the way that she is. You can see that she is weighing up the decision she's made. Mm. And when she talks about the decision she made, which caused Javier Bardem's character to become the person he becomes, yeah. um, it's it's really interesting because it's a horrible thing to do, but she still has to mm. know that she did the right thing. Mm, she still has to that... reason it, and the reason yeah. was, wasn't she? She got six agents back, and a, yeah. A, a but need. even yeah. after that, you can tell that she wishes she hadn't had mm. to do it. Yeah, but, but that's that's the two things you notice from this film. Um, one of the main things is that, and and M's talking about this when she's brought up in front of the parliamentary commission or whatever it is, that the way they fight not crime, fight, terrorist fight, you know, major national threats has changed from it usually, usually being the Russians, an identifiable country in a place with a flag and an identity and a, a set of beliefs. Now it's a, it's terrorist organisations, cells of people who are nationless, who are faceless, nameless. Shadows. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and you can see that in this film where where M, even though she dies at the end, but M and Bond and MI6 have to visibly change the way they operate to deal with this different type of threat. And it's and it's something that Bond as a as a as a franchise or a series has to do to become to stay realistic. You can't have them fighting the Russians every film because mm. the Russians aren't the threat anymore, and you can't have them fighting sort of. Specific nations. Although that's not... Putin would be a great Bond baddie, <laughs> just in himself. A bear. Yeah, <laughs> just in him. Wouldn't even need to create a character. Just have no, him. No, it's yeah. Putin. Uh, yeah, he'd probably do it as well. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And the other thing was the the bad guy in this film. Usually in a Bond film, it's a villain who wants to take over the world. 
or you know, you know something like that. In this film, um, Javier Bardem's character Silver makes it obvious that he can do this when he's got Bond. The opening scene he has with Bond, the first time they're together, he makes it obvious he can rig an election, he can drain a company of all yeah. its money. But the sole purpose of the bad guy in this film is a relentless vendetta which has been planned for years yeah. against M, who basically stabbed him in the back. And it's just it, which is different yeah. to a lot of Bond, or probably every other Bond to most, film. To most yeah. Bond films, yeah. it's, it's a it's a it's a one man. Well, he's got he's got his you know henchmen and everything, but it's a one man vendetta yeah. against a woman who wronged him, rather than him, rather than him doing the actions he's doing in this film to take over the world to become rich or to become powerful or whatever. He's just doing it because he wants M dead. Yeah, and there's an element of. Or not, not sympathy, but you there you can see where he's coming from, mm. and you can kind of go, I if I was in that position, I'd probably be a bit pissed off too. Yeah, and I'm not sure I'd kill loads of innocent people, but I can see where you're coming from. Oh, I wouldn't kill loads of innocent people. His um, yeah, his yeah, teeth yeah. and the bit the plate inside his face, mm. his face sunk. But that was that was very good CGI. Mm. Yeah. That was one of the better bits. And oh, was... Owen, you were going to say something about bad CGI with the Komodo dragons. Uh, oh, just the, the way that the Komodo dragons sort of bit him on the leg and then dragged him off and killed him. Well, yeah. actually, that's not what Komodo dragons do anyway. Yeah, no. But, you know, anyway, that's just sort of a... That was a little bit annoying. Uh, I was yeah. thinking, they don't just go around biting people. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not a crocodile, is it? No? Yeah. It's just like... <laughs> But yeah, that that annoyed me a little bit. I thought they haven't thought that through. They just sort of yeah. stuck some big lizards. It just looked cool, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like say, the CGR wasn't the know, greatest on that. But it was a bit jarring to see that 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 bit. To say, um, have is Sam Mendes signed up to do more Bond films, or is no, no, he's not definitely not. But he's done this one. It would surprise me if he did another one. Hmm. I don't think he's the type of director who's, who's going to want to um, make a habit of doing Bond films. I think he wants to go up and do more interesting because there must have been so much planning and everything with it. It's not like an actor where you turn up for your your seat, you turn up for the shooting schedule. If you're director, you've got so much pre-production and then so much post-production. Um, if if the film took nine months, he probably took a year either side of that as well, so it's almost three years of his life. I don't think he'll want to do it again. Um, and where do we see Bond going from here, just to wrap up this podcast? Oh, I hope um, I hope it carries on, obviously, in this direction. I think it will it's, it won't drift back into its camp former state, but, you know, at times. I think Craig's still a good person for the role. Um, I think it's just going to, over the next few years, there'll be a couple of really good action films, hopefully, from it. That's all I want from it. Well, just looking up Daniel Craig's age, he's 44. Right. So, I don't know how much longer they can do those action scenes, you know. I know some, some actors still go, you know, Sylvester Stallone, I guess, goes on to carry on making action films. How old was Harrison Ford? Harrison Ford, Ford when he was doing Last Crusade. Harrison Ford. And, and Liam Neeson as well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think if if he keeps himself in shape, he'll be fine. Um, yeah, I, would... I, I think it will just be his two that he signed up for. I don't think he'll do any more after that. Um, yeah, I'd be very surprised as well. One final point: 
one of the producers for this film was called Barbara Broccoli. Had to yeah, um, seems like a Bond lady. Had the, that is, um, had the she is the daughter, I believe, of the original producer, uh, Chubby Broccoli. Yeah, I had, to, I had to bring that up though. It's a great name. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. No, they, they've had. They've, she's been involved with, I think, all twenty-four of the films. <laughs> um. Anyway, join us in a few days for our Bond triple bill special. Um, we won't have any Bond films in, but. Is about the Bond actors. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks to um, James and Owen for joining me and for Jerry's contributions. Thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for the music. I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. What's that one then? Oh my god, I don't know. Goldeneye? No, oh, no, no. Yeah, as it, as it's one on one, I'm gonna I'm gonna hand that one over to uh, Steve. Um, is it? As you seemed a bit disappointed that he went for Pierce Brosnan film, so it could be a Pierce Brosnan film, but not the right one. Is it? The world is not enough. No, I'll. <laughs> I'll this is what it was. Here it comes. Oh, oh, there it goes. <laughs> oh, okay, dear. so that's so yeah, you're you're not for one so far. Let's try this one then, Owen. What do you think that one might be? It seems familiar. Uh, it's not. It's not the man with the golden gun. No, it's not, Steve. I'm handing it over. Uh, is it on Her Majesty's Secret Service? No, it's not. I'll just play a little bit more. For her. Do you recognise that voice? It's uh, Cheryl Crow with Tomorrow Never Dies. It's not going yeah. well. No, I'm doing I'm terrible at this one. Oh, I think you're going to get this one. Oh, Jesus. No, I'm, I'm terrible at Bond films. You, 
Yeah, it's sugar. it's someone you. It's your actor. I'll give you that much. Okay, octopusy. No, it's um, it's nobody does it better from uh, the spy who loves so, me. So you didn't, want, you, didn't, you didn't want to pass that one over to me. Oh, sorry. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Because I knew that because it was one of the films I had to watch. Oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm giving you that one. <laughs> Last one. I one nil. Oh dear. What do you think that is? God, Jesus Christ. I haven't got a clue. I've uh, already said it. I've already said it? Yeah. Not, I? No, no, it's not. Oh. Steve? Octopussy. No, that's from On Her Majesty's Secret Service, uh-huh. Louis Armstrong. Uh-huh. So, Steve, you, you've kind of already won anyway, but let's just do a few. <laughs> I might uh, pull some back if he doesn't get it. Oh, yeah, that's true, that's true. Okay, here we go. This is for you, Steve. I'm going to go Moonraker. It sounds, a bit sci- it sounds a bit sci-fi. I'm going to Moonraker. Yeah. No, it's not. You can have a guess at the artist anyway. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Owen. Uh, I don't know. Oh, it's, it's Duran Duran's A View to a Kill. View to a Kill. Okay. Duran Duran. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here we go. This one's for you, Steve. That sounds quite early. Like yeah. early, early Bond. I'm going to go with from Russia with love. Oh, not bad, not a bad effort. But no, Owen. Uh, Thunderball. Yes, yes, <laughs> got one. And who who do you think was the artist? Uh, I don't know. For an extra point. For an extra. Uh, I have no idea. Honestly, no idea. It was Tom Jones. Really? So, yeah, yeah. Tom Jones did Thunderball. Cracking song. Cracking song. Okay, here you go. Back to you, Steve. Hmm. Any idea? I'm going to go with the man with the golden gun. No. Oh, Owen. Is this one golden eye? No. <laughs> no. I'm not going to get it. Um, hang on. I think she says it straight away. You only live twice. Uh, okay. You only live twice. <laughs> oh, just, it's all down to this one. If Steve gets it, he's definitely won. If he doesn't, Owen could steal it on the last question. This is Goldeneye. What was that, Steve? Goldeneye. Yes, by... <laughs> by... That... Come on, let's get one artist right out of all this. That birdie sings Goldeneye. <laughs> I'm not wrong. Owen, uh, if you can get the artist here, I'm going to declare this a tool he's, draw. He's wiki in this. Yeah, it was you too. It was... Oh, he's actually written... That's, that's good knowledge. It's not quite... It was written by two of you two. It was written by the two that aren't the Edge and Bono. Uh, it was written by Mullen and Clayton. 
Um, the crap uh, too. The singer is it's Tina Turner. Golden I found your secret. Who, who sings who sings that, James? Tina Turner. Let's keep it that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but after that atrocious <laughs> that was really old men fighting over a coat now. <laughs> or um fighting over a Brad Friedel shirt. Go to the Born yes, Offside indeed. podcast to find out more. Check out the <laughs> sister podcast. Yeah. But yes, I declare Steve the winner there. Well done, Steve. Fantastic. I think I deserve that thoroughly. <laughs> um, right, so what have we been watching this week? It's all been Bond films. Um, Owen, why don't you start us off? Okay, yeah. Um, I had Roger Moore. Um, and I watched two films of his, Octopussy and The Man with the Golden Gun. Oh, so uh, you had Roger Moore in your triple wall and you got two Roger I Moore got, Yeah, two Roger Moore films and a Roger Moore triple bill. Just absolutely overloaded. I actually realised... permanently arched. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I, I hadn't seen any Roger Moore films outside of the sort of Bond canon, actually. Apart from, like, his cameo in Spice World. But I didn't even remember that. That was just something I found when I... Uh, when I was Googling him. So that, that took a bit of research, actually. But the two films I did watch, yeah, Octopussy and uh, Man with the Gone Gun, they they weren't brilliant films, either of them. But, um, yeah, I mean, Octopussy, it, it actually, it was the first one of the two that I watched, and it kind of remem- it reminded me that, actually, that's the Bond that I kind of remember from when I was a kid. It wasn't the, it wasn't the, you know, the, this modern kind of, Big, muscly, strong, uh, you know, quite sort of action hero almost mm. kind of bond. It was this kind of smooth, charming, quite witty sort of, sort of bond. Cause as a kid, I always used to prefer Connery. I used to think Connery mm. was, was the best bond. And my dad always used to tell me that no, I was wrong. It was actually Roger Moore. Um, but I think that might just be cause that's the bond he sort of, he knew from, from when he was younger. But I, I quite, quite actually, like more as a Bond man. I think I've come around to see the way my dad did, and I think um, I think Connor is a good Bond, but more I've kind of yeah through these two films at least I seem to be leaning the other way now. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, the Octopus is quite good in in a few respects. I quite like the interplay between him and um, and uh, most of the female characters. Actually, it's just <laughs> it's undeniably slightly misogynistic, but that's just it's kind of just cheeky, you know. It's, yeah. it's very playful and it's very fun, um, and you know, it's Bond, isn't it? What What yeah. do you expect Bond to do with the women, really? Um, so he's kind of public schoolboy, isn't it? It's almost yeah. like it's expected of his upbringing. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, <laughs> that's right. And oh, actually, what I did really like about Octopussy was the very start when he's. Um, he gets on a little mini plane that comes out the back of a trailer and then he outruns a heat-seeking missile and it's just like, it looks like it's made out of cardboard or, or, or something and he just, yeah, outruns a heat-seeking missile as he's landing, pulls up the wings, rolls up to this like petrol station and just says, fill her up. And I just thought, yeah, that's classic, isn't it? That's just, that is Bond. <laughs> um, you know, all he needed to do really was drop out the sky on a Union Jack parachute and... um yeah, that would have been just perfect. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was quite a fun film, really. There's um, lots of gadgets in it. Uh, you know, he rides up in a moat in this sort of half-submerged fake crocodile submarine thing. 
which was quite fun. Uh, <laughs> I do remember that, actually. It's one of the few things I do remember about Octopussy is that. Yeah. It, I must have seen it when I was like 12 or something like that last, but yeah. yeah. I hadn't seen it for absolutely years either. And um, yeah, and it's, it's of course the famous one, which is referenced in Skyfall, which we'll talk about. Like, it was the pen. It's got the mm. pen solves metal, um, which I thought was quite good. And it's got this little beacon in it that transmits radio signals and stuff. So, you know, quite sophisticated, I guess, for 1983 mm. that did all that. Um, and yeah, even the bad guys have got gadgets in this. So there's the guy who's got the spinning saw. It's on like a chain that he throws at people, which was quite quite cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, the whole thing is just really silly. Um, but it, it, it is fun to watch, you know. I, I had a lot of fun watching it. And I suppose that's what it was it was intended for, really. It wasn't meant to be taken seriously. It was just a, a bit of a laugh, and it looked like it was a good laugh to make as well. Ev- everyone seemed to be enjoying themselves making it. So, yeah, I mean, it kind of, it, it was a lot better than I expected it to be. I was, yeah. yeah. But at the same time, I don't think it's a particularly great film. It's just a bit, bit, bit of fun, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's not one I'll watch again. I only watched it because it was, you know, we had to. And, I think that's it now. I'm happy that I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> Rush out and buy the Blu-rays of it. So. Um, but yeah, Man with the Golden Gun, it was a bit of, um, although it also felt quite silly at times, it it was a bit more of a serious film than Octopussy. I think it was because Roger Moore, it was made a lot earlier than, than Octopussy. It was about 10 years before. So I think they were all just trying to make a a serious kind of Bond film. But it's, the, what, the one thing that I did remember about The Man with the Golden Gun from when I saw it before was Scaramanga. I used to think mm. it was quite good. He's one of the, the most recognisable villains, I think, in the in the Bond back catalogue. Uh, especially it's good as well, isn't it? So it's got yeah. a bit of weight, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But he's he's just not on screen that much, which is a shame. Um, because he, he really is sort of one of the best Bond villains for me. And I think whenever he is on screen in this, he's... He's just a pretty good villain, you know. He's got everything you want him to be. He's quite um, menacing, I guess, at times. And, uh, of course, he's got, you know, the iconic golden gun, which looks like it's made out of bits of Lego. Um, <laughs> that, that, was, that wasn't that was great. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a shame that he wasn't on there. He's a good actor. You know, obviously, he's good as Dracula and stuff. But And he's in um, uh, The Wicker Man. It's great in The Wicker Man. Yes, oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's good in this. He brings that same kind of presence to this. But um, yeah, he just wasn't on it as on screen as much as I, as I thought he was. But yeah, Roger Moore. I think Roger Moore is a lot better in this film. As I said, he, he sort of takes it a little bit more seriously. Seems to um, uh, seems to have stamped his own kind of identity onto this film. Whereas in Octopus, it was a bit more like he's just this is now. You know, he's established himself already as Roger Moore. He's just going through the motions a little bit in Octopussy. But I think this one's really kind of, um, he's, do, he's trying to do the character a bit more justice and, uh, and you know, bring it round to people seeing him as Roger Moore. Mm. Kind of, kind of appreciated it from, from that respect, you know. But he's still lacking a little bit of grit. That, that's kind of what Sean Connery has, I think. When he's, when he was playing Bond, you know, in Doctor No in the first one, he's, mm. he is, more, um, I don't, I don't want to say gritty because it's not, it's not the right word, but I don't know. He's a, more, it's a lot more fanciful, you know, he's a very theatrical kind of actor. Yeah. 
So, yeah, um, Connery seems more believable as a secret agent. Exactly. That's the, more, exactly. more feels like a character. Yeah. It, yeah, that's right. I mean, it's a good character. I quite like yeah. it, you know. But you, in comparison to sort of Connery, I guess, yeah, he's, he's a bit more camp, shall we say. Yeah. But it's a good performance. I quite enjoyed watching him in this as well. But for different reasons to Octopussy. Um, yeah, the other thing, I mean, there's a, the intentional sort of humour they try and put into The Man with the Golden Gun is a bit shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a recurring character, J.W. Pepper, who appears through a few different Bond mm. films. He plays like an American tourist here. Um, and it was funny, but for all the right reasons, uh, all the wrong reasons, because he just didn't fit into the film at all. He's just kind of like crowbarred in to put this reference to him in there. And he's playing this really obnoxious American guy. And there's a bit where they're in like um, a car and they're riding through sort of town and stuff. And it's, <laughs> yeah, he was just really irritated. Um, so I didn't, didn't enjoy that either, actually. That's kind of one of Octopus's strengths is it's, it is just, you, you accept it all at face value. When it's funny, it's, it is funny. And in this, when this was trying to be funny, sometimes it was, um, it was backfiring a little bit. But overall, yeah, it was quite enjoyable. Um, uh, I'm not really convinced it's the best Bond film I've seen. But um, again, yeah, it was just, just quite fun. I just quite enjoyed, you know, the entertainment value of it. Um, it felt a little bit like a kid's film, I have to say. But, yeah, I won't hold that against it. I just think it's quite um, an adventure film and, yeah, quite fun. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, the first film I had to watch, picked for myself, by myself, at random, was another Roger Moore film, The Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah, that's um, a good one. Look at, you know, reading up on it afterwards, apparently it was, well, supposedly it is Roger Moore's best Bond film, um, or seen that way by many. It has got everything that you expect from a Bond film. Some exciting chases, a villain with a masterful yet slightly flawed plan, uh, a iconic henchman, and a base for the villain that is quite frankly mental. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, um, oh, what's it called now? The Lipperus. Which is just bizarre. <laughs> some kind of pod on four legs that comes out of the sea. Oh no, it's Atlantis. It's Liferous is his super tanker. Um, but anyway, yeah, basically, um, this villain, Carl Stromberg, wants to initiate a nuclear war between America and the US so a new civilization will emerge and he can take over, which seems quite flawed to me because he's already got rid of his nukes by nuking these cities and doesn't seem to have much of an in the way of an army or a crew, and it just seems quite. It seems like a good idea that's really badly followed up by by him, which is probably, you know, it probably happens quite a bit in in Bond films with their villains. Just good, good, good initial idea, 
Um, yeah. But they need someone to really put the legwork into to fleshing it out. And... Yeah, they're, they're ideas people, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they've just never got anyone who... Logistics. Yeah. They've, they've got too many henchmen mm. and not enough accountants. And it always happens with problem. bad guys in Bond films, <laughs> in Star Wars. The henchmen are rubbish. Can't shoot yeah. for shit. Can't... Is it... Jaws in this one, though. Yeah, this is this is the first appearance, uh, one of two appearances of of Jaws, uh, the man with teeth made out of metal and can bite through steel chains. Apparently, I'm not really sure how it works, but it does. Um, <laughs> the film starts, and of course, James Bond is in a log cabin on the mountain somewhere, in bed with a beautiful woman. Um, then he gets a message that he has he has to come back in to MI6 because there's a mission for him. On the way he gets chased by Soviet agents and escapes on skis, which is really fun to watch because it's a, it's a chase on skis with guns. And then he goes off a cliff and you think, what's he going to do? How's he going to get out of this? Parachute. Not just a normal parachute. Union Jack parachute. Boom. Yeah. There you go. Textbook. There you go. If you didn't see me fall off the cliff or if you think somebody else might have fallen off the cliff, not James Bond. No, it's definitely James Bond. Look at the parachute. Yeah. Um, and then up starts the brilliant Carly Simon theme. Yeah. Uh, nobody does it better. And, it's one and of my the, favourite beginnings to a Bond film. It's also Alan Partridge's favourite Bond film. <laughs> and the opening montage is really good as well. Like the opening, um, what do they call them? Not the opening oh, scene. sequence. The, yeah, yeah. That's the Tile one. sequence, yeah, yeah. It's really good. Yeah. Um, so, yes, essentially they find out that a British submarine and an American submarine and a Russian submarine's all been captured. So he goes off to find Stromberg and sort it all out um, with the help of um, Q Branch's Lotus, a spirit that is a sports car and a submarine. Yeah. So, yeah, there's Q throwing some good old gadgets at you. This film has so much of what people yeah. like iconically this, class as Bond. This, yeah, this, you've got Roger Moore, Union Jack Parachute, uh, Lotus that goes underwater, Jaws. Um, the ski scene. This is mental, problem. mental base. Yeah. You can't get enough of mental bad yeah. guy oh, base. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is Bond 101. Mm. Um, yeah. And did you enjoy it though, Steve? Oh, it was good fun all the way through. Oh, I like the way that he teams up with the Russian agent, who's also got a fine Stromberg, who is female, of course. Um, and they end up sleeping together, despite the fact that Bond killed her fella in the ski chase. And she's promised to kill him once the mission's over and they don't need each other anymore. But she can't because she fell in love with him because he's James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. He doesn't fall in love with anyone. It's it's Sad. it's everything you expect from Bond, but not cheesy. But that's probably because it was sort of it's early Bond. If they done it, if they done this with one of the later Bonds, then you would have thought, oh, it's a bit cheesy because it's just throwing sort of everything you expect from Bond in there. But because it's one of the earlier Bond that kind of it kind of works. Um, nice. And Jaws fatally kills a shark by biting it with his jaws. Yeah. So I'm, oh, that's better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the second Bond film I had to watch was one of Pierce Brosnan's efforts. Pierce Brosnan's first effort donning the James Bond suit, Goldeneye. My favourite. Fav- My favourite Bond. Favourite ever Bond. I think so. With um, one of the rare times you see one of the other agents, when another 00 agent, where you see 006, yeah. uh, played by Sean Bean, Alex Trevelyan, who who goes missing. Northern 006. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have Northern 00s. It's, it's going to happen. 
license to kill. Yeah. <laughs> he did play sharp as well, though, so... I yeah. mean But, yeah, there wasn't... I've noticed there wasn't really any M in this film compared to some other Bond, but there was kind of one or two scenes of her, um, mm. and that was about it. Um, the only thing I didn't like was I was never quite sure of, of Sean Bean's role once he joined the Russians. Was he in charge, or was he sort of an elevated henchman, or, you know... I get the impression elevated henchman, yeah. like, highly paid, but... Yeah, like like Darth Vader to the Emperor. Yeah, that's a, that's a good analogy, actually. Yeah. Star, yeah. You can draw an analogy, I can draw an analogy with anything from Star Wars or football, so... Yeah, I mean, uh, that's, yeah. that's a good one, though. Yeah. Um, but I thought Piers Brosnan was really good. There were some exciting, you know, action scenes. Uh, the, it wasn't really a car chase, but the opening chase where no, it's not Money Penny, is it? It's just like a, a woman sent to assess him, and he just yeah. starts racing in in the car against this the other woman, whose whose name I was thought disappointed me about Spy Who Loved Me. There was no um, pun in the Bond girl's name, but in um, Goldeneye, you've got on the top. Yeah, yeah on the top. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which was you know brilliant uh, one of the only things I didn't like was that when he was with Q and going for all the gadgets he was going to be given there's a lot of sort of people in the Q department getting things wrong and cocking up and it all felt a bit Austin Powers it yes. all felt a bit slapstick yeah. and I thought it just doesn't it doesn't feel right it doesn't seem I know Q's meant to be a bit fun with all the gadgets and everything but just the people like cocking it up and breaking everything and not doing it right in the background. It just really felt Austin Powers. Which is a good thing in Austin Powers, but it's not really a good thing in James Bond. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, well, one of my films is the film that was directly before this. And I think that might have been a result of that. I think they were trying to go back to uh, inject a little bit more of that campy Bond in there. Hmm. Um, well, should we talk about your two films, James? Yeah, well, the first one I'm going to talk about, I, I actually got two films which were the last performances of their respective Bond. Um, and both of them led to changes in style when the new Bond films after these came about. Uh, and in some ways, that, well, then neither of them are considered classic Bonds. first one is um, Die Another Day from 2002, which was Pierce Brosnan's last outing. Um, now, the, the opening to this is actually a really good pre-credit sequence. You've got um, James Bond has gone undercover in North Korea. He's investigating a, a North Korean terrorist uh, and diamond smuggling and things like that. And at the end of it, he ends up getting captured. And you're like, oh, hang on, what's going on here? This is this is a bit darker. Um, but then Madonna's theme tune kicks in, which is by far the worst Bond theme of all time. <laughs> By a long, some kind of post dance disc. Oh, it's just horrible. Okay. I've not got a huge amount of time for Madonna post 80s. And this was just poor. She didn't understand what a Bond theme would be about. And sadly, from then on, the film just gets worse. Uh, it's not a great film at all. The, um, it's got some terrible plotting. Uh, and some really unbelievable plotting as well. You've got things like, well, actually, it's quite interesting. Roger Moore criticised this Bond for being ridiculous and unrealistic. And he <laughs> himself said, 
and that comes from the guy who played Bond in space. Okay, <laughs> so he recognised how camp and ridiculous his was, and still thought he had room to criticise Die Another Day. Um, you've got things like gene manipulation, where a North Korean general's son turns himself via gene manipulation to look like a public English school uh, public English schoolboy educated man millionaire. Um, so changes his entire ethnicity with gene manipulation. Um, that's science. I'm telling you now. <laughs> there's a giant ice palace. Yep. Come on, we've just had a, is... we just had a base on four legs that rises out of the sea. I mean... Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I understand <laughs> that. There's an invisible car. All right. Yeah, you had a lotus that went underwater. This is an invisible car, apparently. Um, yeah, the diamonds are being used to build a giant space weapon which can focus a massive laser on the Earth or some sort of... Oh, it's all about career, and apparently they're going to cut career in half or something like that. It's or into, into north and south. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. it's basically <laughs> the north want to invade the south again. They're going to do something with it. I, it makes no sense to me. Madonna shows up as a fencing instructor at one point as well. Can't get a filthy mix off this bloody <laughs> film. Um, it's quite interesting because this came out in the very same year as The Born Identity and Triple X. Now, one of those films decided to take action spy thrillers in one direction. <laughs> one of them decided to take it in another direction. And, and high-rise for a sequel. <laughs> but I recognise that it isn't a good film. But I, I love it for no. other reasons. So, yeah. Um, so, Die Another Day could have gone one of two ways. And uh, it ended up going down the ridiculous triple X route, which doesn't it just doesn't work for this for this character and it's really sad actually because bond is um in prison for a year until m gets his release and it seems that they dwell on that for about 15 minutes and then that's all done and dusted with so it, it's, it's a bit of a shame that we don't get much acting shall we say from pierce brosnan in that case he just does his bond thing i think he do we ever get much acting from Pierce Brosnan? <laughs> I, I, I think that's a little bit harsh. I, I think in the few early Bonds, he, he, I think he's a good Bond. I, I do think he is a good Bond. Um, I've not seen him in too much else, actually, to be honest, outside the Bond. Mrs. Doubtfire, I saw him in, uh, of course. Is he in Lawnmower uh, Man? I think he was in Lawnmower Man. He is in Lawnmower Man as well, isn't he? Yeah. Um, and he's in, is he in Mamma Mia, which I've no intention of watching. I've no intention. He is in that. I've no intention of watching that. He is actually in a very good film um, called The Fourth Protocol with uh, Michael Caine, and he plays a Russian sleeper agent. It's based on a I can't a Len Deaton book, I think. Anyway, um, again, wildly off track. So yeah, Dino Day, not good. Don't watch it. Um, uh, the other film I had was License to Kill, which was. Timothy Dalton's last Bond. Uh, Timothy Dalton only did two Bonds at the end of the 80s. People talk about Daniel Craig's Bond as having a debt to the Bourne films. And that, yeah, you can't deny that, really. If it wasn't for the Bourne films, I don't think we'd have the the Bond films that we've had over the last couple of years. That said, they did try that direction, not quite as harsh and gritty, but they did try that direction towards the end of the 80s with... Timothy Dalton's Bond and Licence to Kill is actually a 15 uh, which was the first 15 Bond um, and I think Skyfall was 12A so it, it was a, a harder grittier Bond than they'd had before and interestingly in Licence to Kill it's personal mission 
basically, um, at the beginning, Timothy Dalton as Bond resigns his commission and his license to kill to personally stop a drug lord and avenge his CIA best friend, Felix Leiter, who, um, on his wedding day, his wife was murdered and he was fed to a shark. Yeah. <laughs> kind of survived. Um, in fact, it's led to one of my favourite one-liner bits in a uh, Bond film. And it's actually a written one-liner. Uh, Bond gets back to Felix Leiter's house and Felix Leiter's there, barely alive on the couch. And there's a note pinned to him that said he disagreed with something that ate him, which is actually really lovely wordplay. I, <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, it starts off, does start off very close. Dalton is very smooth, public schoolboy, uh, but he does have an edge to him. And starts off with a plane hijack, very much like the plane hijack at the beginning of The Dark Knight Rises, and that in, in Bond lowers himself down from a helicopter and attaches something to a plane, and they end up tipping up the plane. Amazing. Um, and then he parachutes out in his wedding suit, lands, and then Felix gets married. Absolutely textbook. Great stuff there from Bond. Um, this is one of the earlier appearances of Benicio Del Toro, who plays one of the main henchmen in this. He's pretty good in this. Um, it also reunites agents Johnson & Johnson from the Die Hard film. Uh, they play two agents in this film. Uh, you know, the uh, the guys who take over in Die Hard from the local police. Yeah. Yeah, they play two agents in this as well, uh, which is quite fun to see. <laughs> Are they called Johnson uh, & Johnson? No, they're not oh, called Johnson & Johnson in this. That would be uh, great. But the other things we've got going on in this film, again... It is still a little bit ridiculous. There are a lot of the one-liners. There's a lovely kind of knowing point where Bond is resigning his commission to go after the man who nearly killed his friend and murdered his friend's wife. Um, and M's there and he says, your license to kill is revoked. And they're at he um, Ernest Hemingway's old house and they ask Bond to hand in his gun and his badge kind of thing, like, in, like an American cop would. And he escapes, and he says, a farewell to arms, which is obviously a Hemingway book. Um, so it's, it has got a few, They have tried to keep that one-liner thing going on there. The technology's still great in this. We've got... Um, they're actually using CD-ROMs. This is 1989. Did we, did we have CD-ROMs in that? I don't remember. I remember big floppy... Three and a half... No, not... I remember five-inch floppy disks. <laughs> Um, so CD-ROM seemed, that seemed quite futuristic to me. There is a ridiculous bar fight where no one gets killed, uh, and someone tries to stab someone with a mounted swordfish. So, yeah, I know what I said about it being a bit more realistic <laughs> and gritty. Um, it, it was still definitely a Bond film. Oh, and also quite interestingly, and this is something they referenced in Skyfall as well, Bond gets given a gun by Q, which reads his palm print. Uh, and obviously oh. that was that that's actually in the Skyfall trailer that they show that bit. But so that was clearly a nod back to this film, because my understanding is there's a nod to every Bond film in Skyfall. So this was the nod there. Also, this is really interesting that Q gets to do a lot of field work. It's the most screen time that Desmond Llewellyn had as Q. He actually comes out into the field and he's assisting Bond in his personal mission against Her Majesty's Secret Service orders. It's, it's, that's quite cool. Um it's also got Wayne Newton in it for a second, the old Las Vegas cabaret singer as some kind of religious cult leader. Very weird. But at the end, the massive weird secret layer, someone presses a self-destruct button somehow, obviously, 
Uh, and so the whole thing starts collapsing and they need to get out of there. Um, Bond ends up driving a truck at one point towards the end as well, which is that there's not too many of the cool, sexy cars in this. He's driving a lorry, um, which I think, again, was meant to be part of the more realistic style. It was good. It wasn't brilliant. It was a six out of ten film. Um, but it was better than people told me years ago that Dalton films were like. And I was always under the impression they were massive failures. Uh, but apparently the reason there were no Bond films between, I think it was five years before Goldeneye came out after Licence to Kill, it was just because of court cases over who actually owned the rights to the character of James Bond. And that's what kept it, uh, kept the films from being made. So, yeah, not bad. But, yeah, I wasn't given two great films, I'll be honest. Okay, uh, quickly, what did Jerry um, send yes. you off? Oh, oh, you know what, I've just, where have I just put my phone, which had my email? This is shocking. Um, hang on, there it is. Right, okay, so Jerry got, I believe Jerry had two pretty decent films, actually. Um, so, Jerry had You Only Live Trust. I'll just read out his email because he has yeah. spent a bit of time re- uh, writing it. So he says, this is one of my favourite Bond films and I think it was particularly apt for a re- rewatch before Skyfalls. There were plenty of references to it and similarities, namely in the usage of Far East locations and the epic scale of it. This was when Bond became grand. There were lots of long shots of cities and locations which are now so typical but weren't really done in this way before. Connery is brilliant as ever. The supporting cast are probably a bit weaker than in other films, but generally it's a well-put-together film. The plot, obviously, has Bond faking his own death, which is similar but not quite the same as Skyfall. Again, I think this probably influenced Mendes and Deacons more than any other in the series. It wants to be huge in scale. It aims higher than Bond's did before, I think, and it started that real globe-trotting feel of Bond films from the late Connery era and made Moore's Bond so memorable. has some iconic scenes and... uh, settings which of course inspired austin powers so that's probably the best effect of it all overall definitely in my top five bond films and possibly third after skyfall and casino royale so turns out he likes skyfall who didn't who'd have known (laughs) um and the other one he had was a view to a kill another roger moore film he says much worse than i remembered moore (laughs) is too old and fat and doesn't really care which makes the whole thing a bit shit Grace Jones is iconic. Grace Jones scares me. I've seen her live a couple of times and she's an absolutely frightening woman. She she is awesome in A View to a Killer, I think. Um, so that was me saying that. Um, oh, back to Jerry now. And I suppose it was having Bond sleep with a black girl for change. Oh, Jerry. <laughs> Uh, but otherwise there's nothing remarkable about this film otherwise from how utterly ludicrous Moore seems as Bond brilliant contrast with how Skyfall treated Bond's age though there's the odd decent shot of Paris but this is actually one of my least favourite Bonds and really hits every stereotype people have about the series in the worst possible way so Uh, he didn't like that one no (laughs) Um, before we go on to talk about Skyfall I come from a small town on the south coast called Swanage. Some of you may have heard of it, some of you may not have done. Population of about 10,000 people. One of our own played M in five Bond films. Really? Robert Brown, born in Swanage, 1921, died in Swanage in 2003. Played mm-hmm. Well, he played Admiral Hargreaves in The Spy Who Loved Me, and M is Admiral Hargreaves in future Bond roles. 
He then played him in Octopussy, A View to Kill, The Living Daylights, and License to Kill. He played oh, M. So that's the so, one I saw. Okay. Yeah. So he was M in all those films. Oh, that's so, nice. There we go. Little local link for you there. Yeah. <laughs> well, some people come from bigger places where it's probably not that hard to find somebody who went on to do something quite memorable and credible. <laughs> One day you'll be one of those people, Steve. I'm probably, <laughs> I'm probably second on the list at the moment. <laughs> uh, right then, Skyfall. Um, Daniel Craig's third outing as Bond. James, you want to set this up for us? Um, remember, listeners, we will be doing spoiler alert, but we'll tell you when we're doing it. Yeah, so, yeah, Skyfall. It is, I just want to say from a, a slightly non-film related point of it, uh, apparently it's sold out everywhere. It's had a huge opening. Uh, it's quite possibly going to be the biggest film box office wise in the UK this year, which is, which I'm going to say now is good because it is a good film. But, um, and, just and, you've, say, had, hey, and you've had like, um, the Avengers and Batman and mm-hmm. Prometheus to compete with. I know, yeah. I know it's Bond and I know it's 50 years of Bond, but. You've got three massive films to compete with. Yeah. So if you're talking, it's not if in you're... the summer either. No, you know, it's, it's 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 at the back end of the year. But yeah, well, it's going to do for really. An hour to get into this. I mean, wow. I've been to this in the world in, in Digcut, which is it's not a massive screen, but it's not a small one by any means. It's got about five or six screens in it. This is the first yeah. time I've not only had to queue to get in, but queue for an hour. It was um, yeah, the whole cin- the whole screen was just packed. Yes. Yeah. Um, so the. It's going to be big. It's going to be popular. Um, it's Daniel Craig's third outing. It's it. I think it's the first proper Bond from Daniel Craig because the first two were kind of almost an origin story uh, and a continuation of that origin story. This is right. Okay, we've got James Bond now. Uh, that's the way it felt to me. Um, so yeah, it's. I don't know what else you want me to say, Steve. Mm. I don't. I don't know what to say about the plot without kind of spoiling it, which is quite... Yeah, I, there's, some general, there's some general things we can mm. say. Obviously, um, it's the first film of the series directed by Sam Mendes, and that's very interesting. They've got a British-born actor, uh, director back in uh, to direct it, and he's not really known for his action films at all. Uh, so that that's, that's interesting to see how that's worked there. Um, and the other thing, if you've seen the trailer, you will have seen Javier Bardem uh, as the main antagonist of as, this film. As a brilliant villain. Mm, he, yes. ki- he kind of mixes the like, archetypal old-school Bond villain who's a bit mental, um, you know, and a bit over the top with kind of somebody yeah. that you can kind of believe. But I've, yes. I, I've, I found there was something slightly more maniacal about having a very camp and probably bisexual Bond villain. I, I think what was great, like you say, he was larger than life, camp and theatrical, which is what you want your Bond villains to be, but they had to give him a realistic, scary edge mm. as well, which, which he, they did do. He looked um, ridiculous as well. He looked a bit silly as well. His kind of just appearance, the hair and hair. the kind yeah. of, yeah. It all looked, and it, the, what he wore, it all looked a bit Silly. Yeah. In fact, um, Jerry, in his uh, review, he did. He said, he said Bardem's on the show. The first scene of his is absolutely brilliant. A single take for the first bit that will become an iconic piece of cinema. Love the homosexual tension in that bit as well. Made me and everyone else laugh. 
Um, so yeah, no, Bardem was great. What I did love, and do you know what, Bonds can sometimes live or die by their opening pre-credit sequence. And I think this pre-credit sequence mm. had plenty of action. There was some humour. There were some great stunts in it as well. I particularly loved the digger. It's in all the trailers, but it's yeah. just it's just where the digger digs into the carriage, he jumps off into the carriage and just straightens his suit and yeah. and carries that, that on. Was a, that was a nice touch. Um, it, and then into what I thought was actually a pretty good theme from Adele. Uh, I, I like the, the theme to Skyfall. And that credit sequence was very nicely done as well. It's a yeah. very, very good Bond credit sequence, I thought. So, obviously, usually we don't talk about films title sequences when we are reviewing films on here. But because it's Bond, it feel, I feel like we have to. I feel like it is a part of Bond. It's something that people expect to see, you know, the, the silhouette of Bond shooting down the gun barrel and then a title sequence with silhouetted naked women and stuff like that in it. And I thought this was all really good. And that's a really good start to the film, but it still needs to deliver. And I think it did. It was, it was, too much away. It was impressive. It was good. It it fitted with the song well. Um, it's set into the film quite well. Um, what do we think about the reintroduction of Q? Because in the first two Daniel Craig films, we've not, um, had Q, um, or Q branch. Um, and in, I didn't, I I didn't like him, actually. Really? Did you not? I, I liked, I liked him, the character, and I liked the, the kind of relationship, or not so much the relationship, but the dialogue he had with Bond, um, the kind of back and him. forth, a bit of banter, and you know, I thought he was just too quirky for a Bond film. I, uh, I'll be, he did feel a, at times a little bit like Moss from the IT crowd. He was, yeah. I mean, that introduction scene in the museum, uh, or no art gallery, wasn't it? Yeah, I just kind yeah. of thought. Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna like this character very much. <laughs> I just find him a little bit annoying. I mean, the the, the scenes later on, I I didn't hate him. Okay, I'll yeah. put it that way. There were scenes later on where I thought, okay, he works quite well in the context of what's going on here. But that oh that introduction bit just um, there was just something about him. But I mean, in, in in the last two Bond films, we didn't have Q. Was the last yeah. outing? Was the last outing that we had a queue was when, because John Cleese came in as an, as an assistant to Q, didn't he? Did he get a Bond film on his own as, as um, Q? I'm just trying to think. I think he did Die Another Day on his own. Yeah. He did, I, yeah, did I he do the last Bro- wasn't he, in that. Yeah. I did, yeah, I'm sure, because in one film he was like Q's assistant. Yeah, because Llewellyn I'm, was getting I'm, old. Yeah, and and I'm, sure, yeah. I'm sure he'd done one on his own and, and yeah. people didn't really warm to it. And then for some reason in the first two Daniel Craig films, whether it's because of that or whether it's because it didn't really fit in with the plot, they didn't go with the Q or Q branch at all. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I haven't seen a Bond since... Well, apart from... Until this year, I hadn't seen a Bond since Goldeneye. So I was... Have, was you, just, have you seen the first, Have you seen Craig's first two? Oh, yeah, or, yeah, you yeah, have I've, I've, right, yeah. I have watched them, yeah. Just, it wasn't until this year that I, I saw them. Okay. Um, so I didn't really notice the missing cue, to be honest, to most. I thought they did quite well without it. Yeah. Um, uh, again, they were a little bit kind of origin story, and he had a very yeah. personal uh, vendetta 
really, That's didn't right. they? In, 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 especially in the second film. Yeah, I think in those two, to have... The, I mean, especially as they were trying to make it a bit more um, serious or realistic, I guess, it, to have a guy with gadgets probably wouldn't have worked, which is yeah. what he actually did quite well in this film with, the Q, with introducing yeah. Q. They made it so it wasn't too ridiculous. It was still kind of they a were, gadget, but it was... Pretty believable, though, weren't yeah. they? Yeah, they weren't exactly. camp and ridiculous. No, that's um, right. The other thing that Jerry said, because I'll just use the, the other bit, of, um, Jerry said, best Bond ever. So Jerry, Jerry is our resident definite Bond fan. He's got the whole, he's got the box set. Um, absolutely loved it. Deakins is a genius. Deakins was, um, director of cinematography, I believe. Uh, and this was generally one of the most visually stunning films I've seen all year. Some of the shots were mesmerizing. The, the set- silhouette fight scene was, the silhouette fight scene was wonderful. Yeah. And the setting, I mean, mostly set in Britain, this Bond film. I mean, usually, yeah. usually you think of Bond films, one of the, 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 the things about them is they're set all around the world in sort of more exotic and glamorous locations. And this one, other than, you know, the, the, the opening and, um, the, and Shanghai. Yeah, and yeah. Shang, Shanghai. It was all set in Britain, which was, which was quite nice, really. I don't know if they'd done that intentionally because it's the 50th year of Bond and Bond's British and all of that. I really like them using sort of the under the tunnels under London where you know Winston Churchill based himself in in World War Two and yeah. all that kind of stuff. It was just you know and, and it was all very British. You had a lot of people in British police uniforms and double decker buses and all things like that. And it was just sort of I don't know why, but it looked really good. But then the scenes in Shanghai and the opening scenes, and I forget where it was now, but they looked really good as well. Yeah, it was, it was a wonderfully shot film. It looked fantastic all the way through. And it wasn't just, oh, look, we're using an exotic location. Cause they weren't always using an exotic location. Like you say, that silhouette fight scene was fantastic. And then, uh, um, there were a few other scenes that just looked really good. There's one which everyone's seen in the trailer of just Bond in his tux stood up on a boat coming through some red flags in, in Shanghai. It just looked yeah. fantastic. Talking about the way the film looks, the are the Komodo dragon scenes mm. referencing anything because they looked yeah. a bit stupid. It, it, it was it reminded me of um, Return of the Jedi with when they fe- <laughs> when they fell into the Rancor pit. Uh, I think, <laughs> but that's probably I, I don't well. know if it's Komodo dragons specifically, um, oh, but yeah. having creatures eat people is definitely a Bond motif. Um, but like no, I said, in License to Kill, a shark ate. Felix yeah. Leiter. Um, they, I wouldn't surprise me if they were a reference to a specific um, Bond film. I was quite happy to see him just because I love Komodo dragons. I think yeah. they're awesome. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't look very good, though. I think the, the animation no. was a bit ropey. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's that's a that's a CGI issue. Yeah, what what you're saying is though, and they should have put Daniel Craig in with two real Komodo with real ones. Yeah, yeah, why not? Yeah. I'm saying, you know. And the way that uh, I'm not going to talk about it actually, that going to a spoiler. I'll I'll shut up for a second. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> other things I'd just say generally, um, great performances all round. Mm. Uh, great to see Judy Dench with more screen. Yeah, you know, we spoke about Goldeneye and her only having a few scenes in gold in her first ever Bond. Good to see her get some weighty screen time. The other thing, it, it really reminded me at times, and I mean this in a good way, of um, 
like a, an amazing, better than ever episode of Spooks. I don't know if either of you two have ever watched the Yeah, BBC. yeah, I watched, yeah, I've seen most of it, yeah. Yeah, it um, reminded me of that. I, time, I see, I I see was... what you mean, but that's, I reckon that could well be down to the, the largely British setting of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I think, um, and maybe a bit of, and maybe this, I, no, I'll save that for spoiler alert as well. Um, <laughs> I hate doing that, but I don't want to ruin this for anyone because no. it's a, an well, excellent well, film. What will lead us into spoiler alert quite nicely, because I think we said all we can say without going into spoiler alert is, we won't go into this in too much detail now, but if you're a Bond fan, in this film, there are lots of nods to old Bond films. James alluded to it earlier, apparently is a nod to every previous Bond film in there, which I'd have to be some massive Alan Partridge-style Bond nerd to have picked them all up. But <laughs> but even as a non-Bond fan, I know it's four or five comfortably, which is yeah, which yeah. which and it doesn't overdo it. It doesn't like sort of kick you in the face with it. But no, although apparently the one thing it does overdo, just speaking to people, it didn't really affect my enjoyment of it. People have talked about the um, product placement. It, 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 didn't, it, it didn't annoy me. The only the only one that blatantly stood out to me was Heineken, but he had his hand covered over the Heineken le- label. Yeah, so, there was I also mean, really near mm. the beginning a very long lingering shot of his watch, yeah. which I do know there is a certain watch that has paid for the, yeah. there's, there's, there's always a Bond um, watch, isn't there? There was the fact that he had a he's got a Sony Xperia mm. as his phone, and yeah. but again, it didn't linger on the. It's only because no. I knew that beforehand. I spotted it, I think. It's only because you had um, an advert for every single Bond I product know, before yeah, the film. Was... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. About so half an hour of... Adverts. Yeah. Uh, oh, and there was the other thing that someone else pointed out to me, where during the pre-credit sequence, like when they're chasing... Uh, when there's the chase on a train and some cars come off, and she's going, oh, uh, M, uh, M goes something like, what was that? She goes, oh, Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> it's just like... I, I just thought it was a joke I hadn't got, but someone tells me no, that was product placements as well. So, well, um, it makes me want to buy one. Seeing one of those fall <laughs> off a train. <laughs> Although apparently it's not as worse as Die Another Day was, and apparently they sold the uh, product placement. They sold twenty different product product Wor- placement worst, deals. Worst film I've seen for product placement is iRobot. Comfortably, even puts he even puts on a pair of Converse and sort of talks about the brand for about five minutes. Yeah. Um. Anyway, enough about rubbish Will Smith films. Yes. Um. <laughs> yes, we'll go on to spoiler at now, James. Before we go to spoiler at, tell listeners where they can find the website and Twitter and all that. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um. So you can find the website at failedcritics.com. We've got some nice articles coming up this week, including. The first of our decade in film, 1960s, which is 1960, covered by me. Uh, we the only one old enough a... to remember it. Yeah, just about, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I used to go down to the old Nickelodeon, watch two films for a penny <laughs> farthing or something. Um, so, yeah, we've got that at failcritics.com. You can find us on uh, uh, Facebook at facebook.com slash failcritic. Find us on Twitter at, at failedcritics. And I've also changed my Twitter name. So if you want to follow me, you can find me at at failed James. Okay, and what's up next week? Next week we are reviewing Paul Thomas Anderson's new potential masterpiece, hearing some very good things about it, the not very disguised attack on Scientology, The Master, starring Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix. 
Um, okay, so now it is time for James Bond Skyfall spoiler alert. If you haven't seen the film and you don't want it spoiled, don't listen on past this point. Now I've said that, you've only got yourself to blame if you ruin the film for yourself. Yeah. Right, so, spoiler alert, so everyone knows clearly now. Where are we going to start with this? Shall we start with probably the most fun part for a Bond geek, all the nods to previous Bond films? Yeah, what did you see then, Steve? I, the, the, the DB5, obviously, oh, which, which, which got was, which got audible cheers in the cinema. Got cheers from, in my yeah. screen Same. as well, actually. <laughs> and then, and then the ejector seat joke with M, which that was, was brilliant. Yeah, which was actually really funny. It was, it was working <laughs> really well. And I thought that that actually summed up a lot of the film is that it paid homage, it paid yeah. tribute to old bonds without veering into mm. just self-indulgent nostalgia mm. uh, there yeah. was it, it, they didn't just give him a db5 there was a reason that it was there kind yeah. of kind of thing and uh, and the fact that it opened up and it still shot out, it still had machine guns coming out of the number plates and stuff like that that, that was that when, was when it actually fired the machine guns at, at his mansion um yeah. or, well the old the old bond estate and yeah. he was in there and it just popped out you just thought, that's brilliant. That's just, yeah. That's, you, you don't see that in new Bond sort of thing no, like that. No, that. That was a nice touch. Mm. Um, Although it made me think, because he obviously, it was his car and, and he had sort of an affinity with it, but you've never seen Daniel Craig's Bond drive it. James Bond's a Time Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah, you have to explain that one. this to me before. Uh, I'm, this, not, I'm not buying it. Well, there is a there is a quite a popular fan theory that James Bond is just a code name for the agent, like 007 is a number and a different person. Although is, this film yeah. kind of deals with that yeah. slightly, doesn't it? Yeah. To be honest, yeah, and um, puts that beyond. And, and even though it's quite a popular fan theory, there's so many holes in it. But you've got lots of different. Pe- you've got James Bond seemingly carrying on from every film he's done, but different people playing him and not really getting any older. It's like a time lord, isn't it? It's quite simple, really. James Bond, yeah, like Batman. James... I mean, Batman's a Time Lord because he's had lots of different actors over different times. Yep. <laughs> Does it mean Sherlock Holmes is a Time Lord? <laughs> Does it mean Dracula's a Time Lord? No, Dracula's what? a vampire. <laughs> Doesn't need to be a Time Lord. You're not thinking this through, right? So James Was Bond. Was Casino Royale though, like a reboot? Anyway. Yeah, I think it was a reboot. So. Any, you're any, not a time lord. Anyway, let's get off of this <laughs> stupid, ridiculous thing that I thought up. Um, yeah, the other nod I know, obviously, was when he was talking to Q, and he, Q gave him the two gadgets, which was basically a radio and a gun that no one else could fire. And he said, it's not exactly Christmas, is it? And Q said, what were you expecting? An exploding pen. We don't exactly do that anymore. Mm. And that, that goes back to yeah. Gold, GoldenEye, where... Q did give him a, a pen, which was a grenade. If you clicked it three times, um, it blew up. Yeah, yeah, because that was the whole Alan coming clicking a pen thing. That was quite yeah. cool. Um, the, also, I think that Christmas line could technically be regarded as a tribute because in I think it's the world is not enough or tomorrow never dies. I always get those two confused because they came out one after the other. They both begin with T, and they both got Brosnan, but. Um, uh, Denise Richards played a character called Christmas Jones, I believe. So just getting the word Christmas in there, that could be yeah. a tribute. Because um, that was when Bond said at the end something along the lines of um, Christmas comes once a year. Mm. Boom! <laughs> Such a ladies' man. 
He's only gonna let her orgasm once. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, you know, I'm sure there was many more that people would have noticed as well. Yeah, well, and the the big obvious one is at the end where we had, and I, I might be kind of, I, sorry, I am spoiling a little bit of the end of the Dark Knight Rises here, but you, that's been out so long, you have to have seen it, so I don't care. Um, there was a Dark Knight Rises moment at the end where, like at the end of that film all of a sudden one of the characters' names... There we go, one of the characters' names, you go, oh, oh, look at that, that's a little nod. Mm. Um, that's all I'll say. Um, with this, all of a sudden we find out that uh, her surname is Moneypenny. And, ah, mm. oh, this is where Moneypenny comes... This is the origin story of Moneypenny. We haven't had a Moneypenny yet, though. In a, like, we haven't had a queue. We haven't had a Moneypenny yet in a Daniel exactly. Craig bond. So this is in, one... In many ways, this film feels a bit like a reboot because... All right, you haven't got a new Bond, but you've got a new Money Penny, you've got a new M by the end of the film, and you've got a new Q as well. Mm. And and M is a a trilogy of films, isn't it? And and MI six have had to realise they've got to revamp, redo the way they do things as well. Yes. So yeah, this is the this is the bridge between mm. Bond's origin story and I'm assuming at least two just standalone Bond films to mm. come. Yeah, has yeah. Craig signed on for two more? He's signed yeah. on for two more, apparently. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't mean he's only doing two more, but he's definitely signed on for two more. And that probably will be it, to be honest. Mm. I mean, you, how long does it take to make a film? It's going to take him at least three years to make make each film. I mean, unless they film them like back-to-back or something. Yeah, he's you, not going to do you've got You've got to be a certain age to play Bond. And you know, then everyone's going to be guessing you're going to be playing the next Bond, and we don't want to get into that now, so we could be here forever. <laughs> yeah, although they they dealt, I thought they dealt with the whole age of Bond in this film well. Yeah, they did. They did. They just put him through all the tests that he failed. Yeah, and just fiddled uh, it. He felt more like that. Felt a little bit more like Ian Fleming's Bond. Mm. You know, just a little bit kind of. Yeah, he's just held together with sticky tape and booze or something like that. He's not. <laughs> a superhero uh, and I thought that was good and I think that's why the the youthful cue worked for me anyway mm. is because it was showing the difference between the old and new ways in a lot of mm. ways not just the mm. technology but also in the actors portraying and that kind of thing and how they go about their job lots of like Bond usually there's lots of funny lines I liked it when Bond came back was was found in where well, he was in M's house and she was saying, you need to get yourself a, a shower and changed. And he said something like, I'll go back to my old flat. She said, we've sold it. Standard practice with a with a dead agent with no next of yeah. kin. And he said, I'll get a hotel. And she said, you're not bloody staying here. Yeah. <laughs> that, um, in fact, I think the heart of this film was uh, Judy Dench, Dame Judy Dench, uh, yeah. as Q. No, as M. And uh, Daniel Craig as Bond, I thought. Uh, especially as the, the kind of third act kicked in I thought there was some really nice scenes between those two uh, and then with Albert Finney as Kincaid as well I liked Kincaid um, the Skyfall residence who's just sort of been pottering around this, this mansion that no one's lived yeah. in for decades he's still there as soon as as soon as the third act started who started thinking Home Alone this is massively <laughs> Home Alone Bond does I, Home Alone what's, what's going on here I, I thought I thought, I thought Kincaid would be getting killed as well I just thought there's no yeah. way this old boy's going to survive yeah. this. 
he's getting winged somehow with a stray bullet and or he's, yeah. he's going to play that, the... that was a good shoot at the end yeah. so I, 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 do you know what this film was really solid all the way through mm. I didn't I didn't look at my watch once I wasn't bored it's nearly 2 hours 25 mm. minutes but it doesn't feel like it it yeah, zips I mean, along at fair old pace I wasn't bored by it I just think that final third it kind of tailed off a little bit in terms of quality there was some great bits towards the end of it. It was just yeah. as you sort of drove into Skyfall and you saw this this house and you thought, okay, some some real big event is going to happen in this place now. And then it was just like, oh, well, they're just going to spend a lot of time talking inside the house. And then it's just going to be a lot of explosions for a bit. I was like, okay, that's a bit anticlimactic. But then the final scene with the knife in the back was just, <laughs> what a brilliant reaction. Yeah. I think his little sort of sigh and all of his eyes that he's actually been killed by Bond was just, yeah. just made me laugh. It was brilliant. He was brilliantly cut. And then, and then, oh my God, the the death, the death of M. Yeah, <laughs> uh, very sad. <laughs> it didn't make me cry though. It didn't make me cry and that it, surprised me. I mean, obviously with, with Judy Dench getting older and uh, it, was, it was inevitable it was going to come, Soon, you obviously didn't know it was coming in this film, but you had the sort of yeah, expect it, no, it, was... it, shook, it shook me out. It yeah. shocked me. It shook. I didn't. Well. I didn't think. You know, I didn't think it was going to happen. I thought she'd see out the the film alive yeah. at the very least. Mm. I expected she'd still be M by. Although a lot of the film was geared up to her losing the role as M through profession, <laughs> yeah, through professional means be rather replaced, than replaced. Yeah. Mm. Um, but it's, uh, her, her death was a little bit sudden, though, don't you think? The way that she was just sort of standing there and suddenly just collapsed and then she was dead about mm, two minutes later. Yeah, yes. I mean, I think everyone really knew that in the house she had got injured when she pretended she hadn't. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just a, a minor thing for me. I, ju- I just think the way she was just sort of standing there and then she had a quip and then suddenly it's like, oh, no, she's fainting and she knows she's dying. Mm. It's just kind of, uh, they could have done something a bit better with that. Um, I think, yeah. What do we think of Ralph finds as Mallory, who is now the new M, and I imagine he'll be in the role of M for a fair while to come. I liked him. Mm. Yeah, yeah, he was very solid, and he got to expand his character a little mm. bit. Um, and kind of had you to... thought he was one thing, and it turns out actually no, he's someone I can trust a bit. So that's good. Mm. And kind of had to not earn Bond respect, but he's somebody that Bond can respect because of what he's done himself in in the military. Yeah, you're right. And, he did have to earn Bond's yeah. respect. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and, and vice versa as well. Bond had to earn his respect, I think, because he didn't... He thought Bond was from the old days mm. as well. So that, that's going to be an interesting say, dynamic. Didn't they say Mallory had been spent a time in Ireland? In Northern and, Ireland, and yeah. had been mm. captured and everything like that, and it was in it was in the shootout in the in Parliament where he really kind of got Bond respect by yeah. fighting back essentially. Yeah, yeah, because he'd just been been hit by a bullet, hadn't he? Yeah, he just sort of dived onto another yeah. gun and stuff. Yeah, I think that he was really he wasn't sort of um, introduced in a way that he uh, he just overshadowed anybody else. No. It was just kind of like a very gently um, showing you that he's got a bit of character and they, they are developing him slightly and then the yeah. final scene where he's you know you see he's M and he's yeah. Like, yeah. it makes you, you want to see more of him you never, in, in, in some films like that I mean it would have helped more if you if, it, if you knew Judy Dench was leaving but 
you know, you might people might have thought, right, that's a new M. He's going to be M at some point. Maybe not yeah. this film, but another film. That's M. And you never thought that throughout this film. You never thought. Well, he's obviously no, gunning for M's job. He he's gonna... was the um, he's the kind of blockage that's been put in the way yeah. to getting M's, uh, yeah. getting M and Bond's way. And it turns out, it, uh, no, I like that. The other thing I did want to say actually is when I was talking pre-spoiler alert about it reminding me of the BBC TV series Spooks. The the major theme of probably the last three or four series of that was about a head, although in Spooks it's MI5, but head of uh, an intelligence agency who is having to face up to the sins of their past as well mm. and also adjust from the old world of spying to the new world of spying. So I just want, you know, the fact is, I think Judy Dench is fantastic yeah. in this, in the way that she is. You can see that she is weighing up the decisions she's made. Mm. And when she talks about the decision she made, which caused Javier Bardem's character to become the person he becomes, yeah. um, it's it's really interesting because it's a horrible thing to do, but she still has to mm. know that she did the right thing. Mm, she still has to that... reason it, and the reason yeah. was wasn't she? She got six agents back and a yeah. And, and but needs. even yeah. after that, you can tell that she wishes she hadn't had mm. to do it. Yeah, but, but that's that's the two things you notice from this film. Um, one of the main things is that and and Em's talking about this when she's brought up in front of the parliamentary commission or whatever it is that the way they fight not crime, fight, terrorist fight, you know, major national threats has changed from it usually, usually being the Russians, an identifiable country in a place with a flag and an identity and a, a set of beliefs. Now it's a, it's terrorist organisations, cells of people who are nationless, who are faceless, nameless. Shadows. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and you can see that in this film where where M, even though she dies at the end, but M and Bond and MI6 have to visibly change the way they operate to deal with this different type of threat. And it's and it's something that Bond as a as a as a franchise or a series has to do to become to stay realistic. You can't have them fighting the Russians every film because mm. the Russians aren't the threat anymore, and you can't have them fighting sort of. Specific nations. Although that's not... Putin would be a great Bond buddy, <laughs> just in himself. A yeah, just in him. Wouldn't even need to create a character. Just have no, him. No, no, it's yeah. Putin. Uh, yeah, he'd probably do it as well. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and the other thing was the the bad guy in this film. Usually in a Bond film, it's a villain who wants to take over the world, or in you know something like that. In this film. Um, Javier Bardem's character Silver makes it obvious that he can do this when he's got Bond the opening scene he has with Bond the first time they're together he makes it obvious he can rig an election he can drain a company of all yeah. its money but the sole purpose of the bad guy in this film is a relentless vendetta which has been planned for years yeah. against M who basically stabbed him in the back and it's just it, which is different yeah. to a lot of Bond or probably every other Bond film most yeah. Bond films. Yeah. It's, it's a it's a it's a one man. Well, he's got he's got his you know henchmen and everything, but it's a one man vendetta yeah. against a woman who wronged him, rather than him, rather than him doing the actions he's doing in this film to take over the world to become rich or to become powerful or whatever. He's just doing it because he wants M dead. Yeah, and there's an element of or not, not sympathy. But you, there, you can see where he's coming from, mm. and you can kind of go, 
I if I was in that position, I'd probably be a bit pissed off too. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I'd kill loads of innocent people, but I can see where you're coming from. Oh, I wouldn't kill loads of innocent people. His um, yeah, his yeah, teeth cool. and the bit, the plate inside his face, mm. his face sunk. But that was that was very good CGI. Mm. Yeah, that was one of the better bits. And oh, was... Owen, you were going to say something about bad CGI with the Komodo dragons. Uh, oh, just the, the way that the Komodo dragon sort of bit him on the leg and then dragged him off and killed him. Well, actually, yeah. that's not what Komodo dragons do, anyway. Yeah, no. But, you know, anyway, that's just sort of a... That was a little bit annoying. Uh, I was yeah. thinking, they don't just go around biting people. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not a crocodile, is it? No, yeah. It's just like... <laughs> but, yeah, that that annoyed me a little bit. I thought they haven't thought that through. They just sort yeah. of stuck some big lizards. It just and... looked cool, yeah. yeah. But, like, say, the CGI wasn't the know, greatest it... on that, but... It was a bit jarring to see that 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 bit. Have to say, um, have is Sam Mendes signed up to do more Bond films, or is no, no, he's not definitely not. But he's done this one. It would surprise me if he did another one. Mm. I don't think he's the type of director who's, who's going to want to um, make a habit of doing Bond films. I think he wants to go up and do more interesting because there must have been so much planning and everything with it. It's not like an actor. Where you turn up for your your seat, you turn up for the shooting schedule. If you're director, you've got so much pre-production and then so much post-production. Um, if if the film took nine months, he probably took a year either side of that as well. So it's almost three years of his life. I don't think he'll want to do it again. Um, and where do we see Bond going from here? Just to wrap up this podcast. Oh, I hope. Um, I hope it carries on obviously in this direction i think it will it's it won't drift back into its camp former state but you know at times i think craig's still a good person for the role um i think it's just gonna over the next few years there'll be a couple of really good action films hopefully for me. that's all i want from it well just looking up daniel craig's age he's 44 right so i don't know how much longer they can do those action scenes you know I know some some actors still go, you know, Sylvester Stallone, I guess, goes on to carry on making action. How old was Harrison um, Ford? Harrison Ford, Ford when he was doing Last Harrison Crusade. Harrison Ford and, and, and Liam Neeson as well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think if if he keeps himself in shape, he'll be fine. Um, yeah, I, would... I, I think it will just be his two that he signed up for. I don't think he'll do any more after that. Um, yeah, I'd be very surprised as well. One final point: one of the producers for this film was called Barbara Broccoli. Yeah, um, seems like a Bond lady. That is, um, she is the daughter, I believe, of the original producer, uh, Chubby Broccoli. Yeah, (laughs) I had to to bring that up though. It's a great name. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, they've they've had they've she's been involved with I think all twenty four of the films. (laughs) Um. Anyway, join us in a few days for our Bond Triple Bill special. We Um, won't have any Bond films in, but. Is about the Bond actors. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks to um, James and Owen for joining me and for Jerry's contributions. Thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for the music. <laughs>